This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It's episode 330 of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. And in this second of our two-part series, of Best in Beer 2023 podcasts. I am joined by each of the five writers who shared their personal top tens of the year in our Best in Beer issue, which is out now, uh, from contributing editor Kate Bernat and managing editor Joe Stang to New York-based writer Courtney Eisman, Southern California beer humorist Alex Kidd, and the renowned author and pastry beer fanatic sitting across from me now, Stan Hieronymus. Welcome back to the podcast, Stan. It, it's always great to be here, although I think you're going to explain what here means for us. Here, here's a different place than we've uh, ever recorded a podcast before. Um, certainly you and me, and we've recorded this uh, segment in past years. This is the third time that we've done a segment on the critics list. We did we did in our office a couple of years ago. We met up in Niwot on a snowy day at Fritz Family Brewers last year and recorded this. Um, but for this one, we decided to just, you know, record it in Mexico. And it, it was a fun trip down. It is still a fun trip down. Yes. It's a trip in progress. So we're recording this after uh, in Mexicali, Mexico, where we both judged for the past couple of days at the Copa Baja, Mexicali, alongside an all-star crew of American and Mexican brewers and beer judges. It really was a killer, killer crew of people. Down yes. Here. Yeah, they've gone out of their way. Um, their thinking is they want to have people who will be frank about the quality of their beer, and that's a way to make their beer better. And And it... Overall, on average, it, the average beer was better than last year. The best beers were better than the best beers. Unfortunately, the worst beers are still the worst beers. It's pretty typical for yeah. uh, for a competition. But it was also fun to to you know, sit shoulder to shoulder with uh, uh, some great Mexican brewers and judge together, yes. and uh, you know, and also help understand these beers together. Understanding new spices, of course, we judged yesterday two categories together: um, wood smoked and historical beer, and then uh, some spiced beer. Uh, of course, we got a lesson in uh, Mexican spices yes. from uh, from our Mexican judge partners, right. which was uh, hugely educational and, and eye-opening and, and a lot of fun. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we walk through Stan's critics list later in the episode. But uh, first, a little explanation about these lists, the motivation behind them. Uh, in a broad sense, we firmly believe that any concept of best, you know, so we create a best issue. Any concept of best is very relative, contextual, constantly changing and constantly evolving. Um, it's always a moving target. You know, all of us, all of us uh, exhibit our own local, regional, and national biases. Uh, it's incredibly important for all of us uh, to broaden our horizons and try to think about beer, craft beer, in this as expansive a way as possible. And that's why within our approach to the Best in Beer issue, we have three components of it. That's our editor's picks for the 20 best beers of the year. That's based primarily on our blind reviewing, almost always on our, actually entirely on our blind reviewing process, um, both the judged scores throughout the year in the magazine, as well as our kind of wild card um, taste in process for the best in beer issue itself. Um, all of that is blind review based and taste based, um, you know, uh, and depends on the beers that uh, uh, breweries send us throughout the year. Um, the second component is our, our reader's choice uh, list that are made up from the thousands of responses to our annual reader survey. 
um, that uh, readers and listeners out there submit to us. It, that is the popularity contest uh, component of the competition, right? Um, you know, but also an interesting one to gauge the tenor on things and also understand how trends change. We ask about packaging formats. It's been amazing to watch. Watch about styles. Um, and so it's an interesting way to kind of track consumer sentiment year over year. Uh, also a valuable way to think about best. The third part of it, which uh, we also really love, is tapping into the brains of folks that are paid to pay attention to uh, what's going on in this broad world of beer, and that's these these critics' lists. So we've tapped into the judges that I mentioned earlier to write about their top 10 as well as top trends and some other questions that we post to them. All of those are in the Best in Beer issue now. Of course, if you're, of course you're a subscriber, and so you've probably read them. Uh, but the por- uh, point of this episode of the podcast is to kind of dive in and add some color around that and also just to have an excuse to talk to some smart folks and get them on the podcast every year, um, you know, because I, I look forward to that too. Uh, Nonetheless, you know, these, these, we try to, you know, tap into folks that are from all over the country, all, all the corners of the world. And of course, Joe's in Bangkok, Thailand, and brings his own special uh, perspective to that. Um, this is the focus of this episode. Throughout the course of it, I'll check in with each one of them. We'll talk through their favorite beers, trends, and more to help build a, you know, big round picture of what's great in beer today. Uh, Stan, I think we'll wait a minute to talk about your list. We'll instead kick things off with Kate Bernat. But uh, before we do that, for years, GD Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000 plus breweries across the country. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. They know brewing doesn't stop at five o'clock, and nor do they. GD uses quality components, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. With 24 7 service and support, your brewery will never stop. Remote monitor your chiller for simple and fast access to all the information you need, providing you with the peace of mind. Your operation is running smoothly. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is sponsored by BSG and their partners, HVG, who bring you the very best in German hops, including Amira, the latest from their hop breeding program. With its classic hoppy, slightly herbal, and zesty lemon aromas, it's the ideal hop for those looking to capture the traditional flavor of a classic German lager. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. And if you hear Old Orchard mentioned in the brewing community, don't be surprised the flavored craft juice concentrate blends from Old Orchard have shipped to over 46 states. Their new brewing customers often mention discovering Old Orchard through the word-of-mouth recommendation of another brewer. To join the core of Old Orchard's brewing community, learn more at oldorchard.com brewer. Now, here's my conversation with Kate. First up in our critics list, uh, joining us uh, to share her best 10 beers of the year, as well as some memorable experiences and trends. Uh, Kate Bernat, contributing editor for Craft Beer and Brewing. Welcome back to the podcast, Kate. Thank you. This is one of my favorite things we do all year, so I really look forward to it. Thanks for having me back. I've got a lot. We've had a lot of Kate experience, uh, you know, uh, last month, I guess it was it last month. Yeah. Well, I guess it was about six weeks ago. Uh, you came out to the craft beer and brewing office, uh, yeah, for a couple of days of best and beer judging alongside, uh, Stan Hieronymus, Joe, me, and then our special guest judge, Patrick Dawson on Tuesday. Uh, and then I just saw you a couple of days ago at uh, the festival of barrel aged beers, Fobab in Chicago. Uh, how was your Fobab? Fobab was excellent. I realized my first Fobab I ever went to was in 2012 when I was still living in Chicago, and it was in the Plumbers Union Hall, and brewers just kind of had, like, cardboard signs that said, like, chili stout. And it was, like, very 
DIY and very small and niche and nerdy and to see it become so popular and so kind of reaching mainstream drinkers and to see all these out-of-state breweries now. It was really amazing how much it's grown in a decade. That was a fun time. That was my first time at Fobab for the last 10 years of, of craft beer brewing. I was like, you know, this is going to be the year I go. And then it never was. And this year I finally lined up enough enough podcasts to, you know, to make me make the trip. And so uh, actually all podcasts, almost all with lager brewers, strangely enough. Um, Love that. Which, listeners to the podcast have already heard one and we've got a few more coming down the pipeline won't ruin that surprise for anybody uh, but it was fun to see it so much passion and love for for barrel aged beers everything i mean some of my favorite beers were small five percent pale uh barrel aged beers and not necessarily giant uh, high gravity behemoths uh, but fun to to dive into that entire spectrum yeah a hundred percent uh when i talked to attendees most people were it, obviously, it's very memorable, these big, oh, did you have the one with banana? Did you have the one with macadamia nuts? Uh, but then uh, the longest line I stood in was in the lager lounge. So do with that what you will. That's <laughs> it's brewers, isn't it? Yep. It's always the brewers clogging up the line in the lager lounge. <laughs> anyway, let's dive into your top 10, your favorite beers of this past year. What is first on your list? First on my list was a beer I had when traveling to San Carlos de Bariloche in Argentina and uh, the Wesley American Pale Ale. I had it at the brewery and I was in love with it. And I thought, well, you're just in a beautiful place and you went for a hike. So, you know, you're just loving this beer. No, I went back multiple times to make sure this beer was as good as I had initially thought. And it sure was um, very sweet fruit aromas and flavors, but but not overly sweet on the palate, just a really beautiful expression of like honeysuckle and apricot and, and floral citrus, um, but with just the right kind of wonder bready malt underneath it. Um, I thought, dang, any brewery in America would be super proud to brew this beer. And I drank a lot of it while I was there. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, we ran into, Joe and I ran into a number of American pale ales on menus in the Czech Republic, of all places. There you go. Um, kind of wild to see this American style, uh, you know, take off. Um, but I think it, it hits a narrative which I absolutely love, which is, you know, inspiration and beer moves in all directions today. You know, it absolutely. Is, it, it, you know, for the first 20, 30 years of craft beer, it was, it was moving from Northern Europe to America. And now the direction is moving in every direction from America to America, from Asia, you know, to America, from Asia to Europe, you know, in, in the way of, uh, you know, Japanese uh, blends of, of lamp. I mean, there's just watching this move in so many different directions, South America to North America, South America to Europe, you know, this kind of truly international approach to, uh, and watching this inspiration, these styles, you know, crisscross oceans and continents. Um, it's truly an awesome, amazing thing. Yeah, I couldn't believe how great some of the beers were that I had at literally the end of the world in South America. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. So uh, what's next on your list? Next on my list is a beer from Keeping Together uh, called A Mutual Surrender. 
And uh, I love, I, I know you do too. We love <laughs> the beers that Avery is making. Um, Everyone I, will hear this after our best in beer issue drops. And so they know that uh, Avery has also made our, our best in beer, best 20 beers of 2023. Correct. Yeah. So um, yeah, not shocking that she finds her way onto my list as well. But she calls this beer a Saison Rosé. And um, to me, it was like a sort of a, a spritzer effect. Um, it was very fizzy and jammy plum notes from these second-use Cab Franc and Merlot grapes from Walla Walla. Uh, but the, the tannic presence was really reduced, I think, because of that second use. So just this very effervescent, light, kind of electric, in, insanely refreshing, um, yet still quite complex beer. And, um, you know, all of Avery's beers are really inspired by memories and places and whatever place this came from, like, I want to go there immediately and just live in it forever. So <laughs> highly memorable. Next on your list is an IPA. Yes. Uh, and an IPA that um, I bought at a Trader Joe's in Spokane, Washington. What a time to be alive. <laughs> um, off of a warm shelf at Trader Joe's? Off of, uh, yeah, I guess off of a warm shelf at Trader Joe's. My God. I love Trader Joe's, but I hate that about Trader Joe's. They don't, uh, you know, they could do a better job with how they treat beer. Absolutely. And yet this still tasted so good. So this is the Bailbreaker Friends IPA, which is a collaboration with uh, Sierra Nevada. And it is a combination of New Zealand and American hops. And I sometimes I find New Zealand hops, especially if the brewery is like really calling them out, like sometimes it's just it's just a bit much and a little bit. I don't know, kind of one note unless you're blending it really well. And here, it, incredible, like lemongrass, candied orange, all the, of course, like Sauvignon Blanc notes that you would expect. Um, but then there was like even fruit smoothie flavors at the end um, that were so real fruit-like. Um, yeah, this beer totally blew me away. I bought it like off a warm shelf for, I think, just like a camping trip or something. And I was like, holy crap, is this one of the best beers I've had this year? Uh, so again, um, good beer abounds and sometimes finds you in the strangest places. What a communal way for a brewery like Bailbreaker that's in the middle of their own family's hop farm to tap into New Zealand hops of all things for this. But uh, um, there's a lot of global hop love here. Absolutely. Next on your list, you go to the Lager Realm. Lager Realm, yes. Uh, and a a beer that um, really stood out to me from Craft Brewers Conference, which if after four days of uh, pretty heavy beer sampling, something stands out, I know it's really special. Um, this was Rhythm's Unfiltered Lager, uh, Rhythm Brewing out of New Haven, Connecticut. Um, I took this home uh, from, a, from an NB2A event, the National Black Brewers Association event, and uh, drank it the next day uh, at my hotel. And um, I loved that this lager was a touch sweet, um, but with like the carbonation cleaned it up super well. Um, I think we forget that sweetness is a really pleasant, um, a really pleasant thing. And it sometimes gets like a little shade because it's like, oh, we should like everything bone dry because it's more sophisticated. I'm not saying this is like a sweet beer, but just on that side of it. And it was like such a nice easy to drink thing with just, again, the right carbonation to kind of counter that. And um, I just, I really loved it. It tasted like um, Cheerios in a really comforting way to me. And uh, yeah, I really, 
really was glad that I threw this beer in my purse <laughs> for the for the next day. That idea of lager uh, being able to embrace sweetness uh, in measured ways where appropriate is a theme that I think we're coming back to over and over again over the last two months of the or the next and past two months of the podcast. Uh, and so you're right. You're right on theme there. I totally agree with you. Let's not forget that malt is uh, delicious <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you know, yeah, can make fantastic lagers. What's uh, next on your list? This was one that we tasted in our best in beer tasting that found its way onto your personal list through that. Another reason brewers should also continue to send to send beer for our, uh, our kind of wild card tasting for best in beer. Uh, wild card is a very good word, I think, for this beer because I loved it and was obsessed with it. And I think it was a little polarizing for certain other judges. Everyone liked it, but it was, I don't know, something about it really spoke to me. I can honestly say, so the beer that we're talking about, Seventh Sun Pineapple Express, uh, the the beer has to explicitly state that there is no THC in it because you would believe it does. Um, there, this is using um, cannabis terpenes uh, that are are they're there, but using it in a fruit and a tart fruit beer. I have never had a beer like this before. Um, you get kind of uh, pineapple core earthiness, and the the terpenes are are very green and sort of of the earth and minty. Um, and then there's like the zingy acidity. I was just blown away by how the terpenes were integrated here. And I thought it was such a cool, like brewers finding a new color in their palette and like painting with it in a, in a style that is different than anything I'd ever had. And I just thought it was super cool. I agree with you. This was this was definitely in some of our broader our conversations about best beers of the year. Ultimately, didn't make the overall list, but like, why let IPAs have all the terpene fun, right? You know, I mean, totally. terpenes, uh, right? Like, this is a flavor, you know, and, and uh, you know, ability to add this into other beer styles that uh, can also resonate with folks. Such a cool way to think about it. Nice, absolutely. Uh, it's a good creative idea, then also a fantastic execution. Absolutely, both those things together. Um, next, you went sweet on the on the pastry <laughs> stout side. Yes. Uh- I, yeah, I wouldn't say uh, pastry stouts are, you know, a, a style that I maybe even expected to have on my list here. But this one uh, super blew me away. Uh, Perennial Colorant. Uh, this is a phase three collab. Um, what I really loved here, and there's there's a ton going on. This is like a massive over-the-top imperial stout with coconut, two kinds of vanillas, aged 17 months in Old Fitzgerald weeded bourbon barrels. Like, so much happening, but my favorite part of this beer was the cinnamon. It the cinnamon sort of coconut vanilla interplay was so excellent and had so many culinary memories. Like my brain was just lighting up like a pinball machine. I was like, oh, it's kind of like cinnamon toast crunch. And it's also kind of like these cookies that I used to eat. And then, but then there's enough of this like chocolate, whiskey, dark cherry thing happening to keep it from going totally confectionery. Um, obviously still quite sweet and giant, but I thought for a beer with everything going on, it was exceedingly well done. And the cinnamon was so fantastic. More cinnamon in these beers, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, and I think you're right. I think the quality of their ingredient sourcing you know, plays into this too. Um, and then watching how brewers have gone deeper into that world of vanilla and that world of cinnamon um, and finding the exact sources for these things that are going to make delicious beers. 
such a cool thing to watch. I think we probably need to work on more content around that, especially with our upcoming stout issue. Now that I think about it, okay, <laughs> next on your list, uh, you know, a, a collaboration of sorts. Yes, uh, Jester King, Phantom Del Rey. So this was a collaboration years ago. And then I guess Jester King just sort of rebrewed that beard. So not actually with Phantom present here, but based on the collaboration that they did. As one would expect from a collaboration between these two breweries, it is weird as all get out. Probably the weirdest beer on here to me. Like so savory and kind of mushroomy and umami and also funky and and a little bit acidic and there's a ton of oak in there and it's like I can see this being so wrong and instead it was so right and just this wonderful like kind of this is a beer you got to like sit with and really take a minute and think about and kind of like an intellectual exercise in what where those flavors are coming from and how they're playing with each other um and I just thought it was so weird and delicious and really provocative i guess uh i i kind of had to sit alone with this beer <laughs> and a good moment to reflect on uh everyone's experience with phantom as uh danny <laughs> figures out what the next steps are yes, for that brewery yes. but uh, what a what a pivotally important uh, brewery in the world of farmhouse brewing and, and whatnot absolutely um, next on your list was one that uh john hickenlooper former uh, governor of Colorado uh, was talking about at the opening uh, of the Great American Beer Festival Awards ceremony. Yeah, uh, it won a silver medal in the coffee beer category this year. Um, Wincoop's Kurtz Mile High Malt. Uh, I drank this at Wincoop and was talking to the head brewer there, um, Todd, who was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just really digging this batch. Like I sent this to GABF, I just really feel good about it. So you know when the brewer is like really in a groove about it, I'm like, I should probably try that beer, I guess. Um, and it's a, it's a Vienna, Vienna lager with Ethiopian coffee. And like just the Vienna lager part is so smart. Um, adding this like nuttiness that's also riffing off like a lot of the dried fruit that's in the coffee beans themselves. Um, I, I thought this was an exceptional beer and then I was I felt extremely validated when I won the medal I guess you know probably Todd did too uh but it, just an example of like when a when a brewer is like really feeling a certain beer like of course you got to try it because uh it might be one of your 10 best of the year I love seeing that and I, I have brewers mention that to me it's like well you know you all rated it this and then it won a gold medal at JBF like Boom. There we go. Um, Nice to see some of those commonalities and uh, those things tend to happen um, more than uh, more than we plan for, for sure. Uh, Another IPA is next on your list, or I should say a double IPA or a double, double dry hopped double IPA. DD, 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 H, everything. Uh, So many Ds. (laughs) So many Ds. Uh, Russian River, double dry hopped Pliny the Elder. I was like, is it too obvious to put this on here? I don't know. I like this beer is fantastic. What did I expect? I'd never had uh double dry hopped version, drink drank it alongside standard Pliny. I don't know that you could ever try to like choose between these. It's like two different experiences of the same beer, but um I really loved how much uh of the like mimosa very citrus creamsicle tangerine situation the dry hopping was bringing to this um and again just to experience a beer that you love and and respect so deeply in kind of a new light it's like 
I don't know. It's just a fantastic experience um, and and really proof that um, obviously Russian River can do whatever the heck they want and knock it out of the park. <laughs> uh, so I shouldn't have been surprised by this experience, but it was cool to like, I don't know, it's like seeing a movie you love in like 35 millimeter or like or in IMAX. I don't know, just like a different version of a thing you love. Um, so I, I it was just a very cool. The whole thing was a cool experience for me to taste both of those side by side. I love how uh, Russian River uses these those beers because I think this one initially had come out of their Pliny for President kind of thing, and I know that it got tweaked since then because you know Finny can't help but tweak all of these things. Absolutely. Uh, I'm curious. I think you know we were. I was talking. I'm, I'm blanking on the conversation now, but it's got another plan next year for next year's Pliny for President. Can't wait to see what that one becomes, and then if it finds its way into. Uh, into the uh, the lineup in the future, uh, but yeah, like next year's an election year. That means plenty Ooh. for presidents. The best thing about any election year, we need. certainly the ele- <laughs> we need it. We need beer during election years. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So one last beer, one that last beer on your list. Yes, uh, Time and Materials Boulevard of Imperial Creams. Uh, Time and Materials is a very teeny brewery in Reading, Massachusetts. Uh, and this beer was a collaboration with Lost Shoe Brewery and Coffee Roastery. I loved uh, this this beer um, for the the rum barrel uh, aging uh, with um, a lighter a lighter coffee base, a uh, cream ale, um, and just the way. The rum barrel is interacting with the Guatemalan cold brew, and there's like that little corny sweetness. There was also vanilla and lactose. Again, tons going on here, but when you can really distinctly pick out the influence of all of them and they meld together perfectly, um, I thought it was expertly melded, very harmonious. And for, um, yeah, put, put kind of a very small brewery on my radar, and it was just really cool to... Um, yeah, find such a little teeny tiny brewery doing something that really um, kind of blew me away. And uh, yeah, also I'm a sucker for rum barrel aging. So Very cool. What was your most memorable beer drinking experience of the year? This one goes back to Chile again. Yeah. So uh, this time, this was the same uh, Argentina, South American trip I was on um, earlier this year. But uh, in um, in the town of San Pedro de Atacama, Chile, which is in the middle of the Atacama Desert, where I was doing some camping, um, that town is is wild um, because there's people from all over the world coming to this like dusty desert town where the streets are just like sand. Um, and obviously, given that heat and um, you're also at a very high elevation, uh, you know, you want to drink some really cold beer. Found this uh, soccer bar that I'm probably going to mispronounce, uh, Chela Kabor, Kabor. Uh, and sat drinking some very, very cold Kunstmann lager and like the people watching was insane. It's like that the pub in Star Wars where there's like people speaking a million languages and there's like kind of some nefarious folks in the corner. Who knows? Uh, but like also really friendly people giving advice to each other about where to camp and where do I get fuel for my jet stove and all jet boil stove and um where can I find a fishing line? I don't know. Uh, it really reminded me that like pubs are the public house. They are the gathering place uh, for, especially in a in a in a new town. Like you can really go and and try to get your problem solved at the local pub. So that was just uh, I don't know one of the most unique bars I've ever been to in my whole life, and um, in a cool place. 
problems solved, new problems created. It all kind of happens, uh, you know, right there. <laughs> the Yes, the uh, cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Exactly. exactly. So uh, a beer topic that fascinated you this year. Yes. Uh, well, maybe it was because I wrote about it a ton for craft beer and brewing um, and for the brewing industry god, but uh, thiols. Um, wow. I have not watched sort of a a real-time discussion between science and brewing technique and drinkers evolve so quickly sort of in real time. I mean, just over the course of months, um, researchers in in yeast and, and, and malts as well and hops are speaking with brewers, getting their real on-the-ground perspective of what thiol-boosting products and yeasts are doing for them. And then drinkers are giving their feedback about are we liking where this is going? And then all three of those kind of ping-ponging back and forth um, to figure out what is the direction we really want this, you know, tool kind of to go in. Um, it was just, I, I felt like I was watching, you know, discovery happen in, in real time. And I think um, the future for where, how files are used or or highlighted is obviously like being written right now. So um, that was just something I could have written about probably every month. <laughs> That's absolutely true. And it's interesting to watch whether it's, you know, research coming out of, you know, uh, Berkeley, the, you know, on the West Coast, whether it's research coming out of Omega Yeast in Chicago, we're watching some of these conversations really moving forward. I think that when we look back at this year and last year, you know, things like discovery of the, you know, uh, gene that uh, leads to you know, haziness and beer. Absolutely. Uh, when we look back at this time, like, you know, it'll become more apparent in retrospect, which is obviously why we do this. We have these conversations now, you know, because we're starting to think about what will this look like in the future. But I think when we look back at this, this period of development and of research and of uh, like scientific progress in the world of brewing, I mean, it's, it's really very significant and we shouldn't, uh, you know, underplay how m impactful some of this science is in making and building the foundation for beautiful beers that we will continue to drink in the future. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's finish this off with your most encouraging thing happening in craft beer lately. Yes. I chose uh, the unhyping of, of craft beer. Um this year, it really seemed to me, and I say this as a positive thing, because it seems to me this year that craft beer is achieving its its early vision from decades ago. Like, drinkers can find incredibly well-made, flavorful beer of all different types all over the world, from gas stations, airports, convenience stores, hair salons. Um, this was... This was the point, right? <laughs> and while I think, you know, the sort of de-hyping or, or mainstreaming of craft has other, you know, sort of um, deeper implications for like homogeny and commoditization. And there's some kind of like philosophical questions there. And how special are these things anymore? Um, I think just on a sort of like practical level, accessibility and drinker access to delicious beer like truly what a time to be alive this is uh this is what pioneers of this industry had hoped for and we get to live it um as evidenced by one of my top 10 beers of the year coming from a warm shelf at trader joe's <laughs> so uh i think it's a it's a positive for drinkers at the very least 
great flavorful beer as ever. And I think you're right. What we don't want to see, we don't want to become the thing that craft beer, you know, defined itself against for so long. You don't want to watch, you know, contra, uh, you know, compacting margins and consolidation and large players, you know, pushing small players out of the market. You know, this diversity in craft beer is its strength and having this range of size and scales of craft beer and having ranges of price points that can support different types of production and the different types of artistry and craftsmanship. Uh, you know, those are all important things, you know, but the idea that there's a general consciousness and focus on flavor in beer, like just that sheer concept now yeah we take it we take it for granted right absolutely here we are here we are so gotta gotta enjoy the the certainly the positive aspects of that because uh yeah there's more delicious beer than at any time in (laughs) uh modern history here so uh i feel i feel good about being on the record as that being a good thing 100 percent 100 well kate thanks for joining me for this segment if you want to read all of kate's writing for craft beer and both craft beer and brewing magazine and our brewing industry guide she pens twice a month stories for our all access program through the brewing industry guide and if you are a member of the industry um, go out there and get that all access subscription that includes the brewing industry guide so you can read hers and don tess and uh, stan hieronymus and our our consistent contributors to the brewing industry guide all access program kate also writes features for craft beer and brewing also writes case studies for the brewing industry guide magazine um, it's all places to read kate's fantastic coverage of the beer industry um yeah thanks kate it's awesome talking to you thanks uh, looking forward to, to doing this again next year but I'm, i'll see you before then sounds good thanks so much jamie Next up, Stan and I will discuss his critics list, but first, ProBrew is excited to announce that they are currently featuring short lead times between two and four weeks for their in-stock ProFill rotary can fillers. These can fillers run at speeds between 100 and 600 plus cans per minute while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers. For more information, fill out their contact form on www.probrew.com or email contactus at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. Pro Brew, brew your beer. Also, oh, you like wildly aromatic IPAs and tropical lagers? Good thing Omega designed Thialized Yeast for just that reason. Thialized Yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malts and hops. And wait, there's more. Omega Yeast makes yeast to order with a consistent one-week lead time, ensuring peak freshness and reliability. And join the craft beer community in Sacramento March 12th through 14th for the California Craft Beer Summit. Bring your entire team from production to marketing to hospitality. There's something for everyone. The summit is a can't-miss event, offering two days of educational sessions, a huge interactive expo floor, beer and food tastings, and networking with industry leaders. Take advantage of the lowest price to attend early bird registration on sale now through December 22nd at CACraftBeerSummit.com. Okay, Stan, now it's your turn. What's first on your list of favorite well, beers 20, this year? I, I, a quick, I think people understand this list is really a fiscal year. <laughs> um, we, we start at the previous GBF, we go to the next GBF. Um, but it turns out uh, that every beer on this list is from 2023. I had in January a beer that's known as uh, Fifth Hammer 5x5. And there are a lot of fives in this. Fifth Hammer obviously has one. Uh, they partnered with Fifth Frame, another brewery. Both were having their fifth anniversary. Uh, they created a farmhouse beer. Then 
Fifth Hammer took that beer, put it in a Sauvignon Blanc barrel along with the mixed fermentation. Um, and so that's basically what this beer is. However, they then primed it with local honey. Um, and that honey really comes through. Uh, it's an incredibly uh, salad of fruits, and it's just a lovely, relatively low alcohol for this sort of style beer and wonderful to drink. I love Fifth Hammer. Had a great, uh, actually, it was like a Citra Pale Ale on cask on the cask engine that uh, a couple of years ago that just absolutely loved. I guess it was last fall. Um, anyway, what's next on your list? Um, Garage Project Four Legs Good, which is a two and a half percent beer. And Garage Project is uh, they had a a beer uh, Chance Luck Magic, which is also a mixed fermentation beer that I I think won Best of Show in Australia, Best of Show in New Zealand and meddled at the World Beer Cup. It's a wonderful beer and striking. This is like a junior version of it, and it's only 2.5% alcohol, and it also has a spectacular name for a low-alcohol beer. Fantastic. I'm a huge fan of uh, mixed fermentation table beers and, and low ABV levels. Well, they, they, you know, people stand in line at the Firestone Festival to drink the pickle beer, and... I talked to somebody who was there this year and said, I, I had to ask for some of those other beers. And those, those are sensational beers that they're making. They're, they, their investment in lab work is way above average. If anyone is uh, pioneering molecular gastronomy and beer, uh, it's definitely Garage Project. Uh, yeah. Well, your next beer goes in a completely different direction. So, so Urban Chestnut Stomptish, and, and I'm just looking at this list, and I hadn't realized it until now, uh, nine of the 10 beers I had at the brewery um, and then frequently bought beer and brought it back home. Um, Urban Chestnut Stomptish, for the first time since they opened in 2011, I was not at that brewery. We used to live in St. Louis. That made it easier. But even during COVID years, we happened to be there sometime or another. But in this case, passing through the St. Louis airport, which I do know where to stop. And actually, when I'm landing, I checked the gate I landed in and then the gate I'm going to fly out of and go, oh, good, Urban Chestnut's stand is between those two. And when I've got, say, 20 minutes, and this happened twice this last year, I know I can pick up the beer, stand in the next line because we're flying southwest, and by the time I board, then I'm done with the beer. And by the time we're at 10,000 feet, a little bit of the bitterness is starting to go away. Um, this is a very properly bitter pilster. Um, and as regular readers of craft beer and brewing know, that's important to Joe Stang. And as I, I said in my comments here, the only thing missing was Joe along while I drank the stunt. Beautiful, beautiful. What's next on your list? Um, so the uh, Benedictine Brewery, which is in Mount Angel, Oregon, uh, it's their Pinot Barrel-Aged Dark Night. And so this is their, their base Dark Night beer. Um, like six, seven years ago, they put just in a single Pinot barrel at another brewery where it was aging and they kind of forgot it was there. When the brewery went out of business, they returned the barrel. Uh, they, at that point, they did not have a barrel program. Um, and they tasted this beer and they said, we, we need to do more barrels and beer. Um, and it is, um, you know, it's got all, it's a, of a, of a, 
Belgian strong dark, so it's got lots of dark fruit, which you're going to get when you age a beer for six years over time, if it's a good base beer going in. And then that just blends with, because also it's got to get maybe two or 3% alcohol out of the grapes in there with that. So, so it was a fresh barrel. Um, it was just, you know, it all comes together and it could have been a disaster. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Next up, uh, you know, uh, a beer a little closer to your yes. current home in Colorado. Yeah. The primitive Meadville, which is a collaboration with Voodoo Brewing, which seems to be in, in Pennsylvania and a seems to be, no, I mean, it, it uh, seems to be franchising right, across the country. Well, that's right how now, it's going to be. That, so, so they're franchising and primitive is specifically from that place. And, uh, and as Brandon says, it's crazy that, that this, they've come together to be such good friends, but they are. And so that this was a collab between the two, but it tastes totally of having beer at primitive, uh, which will be interesting to see because Primitive is actually going to move inside of another brewery. And I hope it works out because that brewery is less than seven miles from my house. Well, it wasn't like Long Island was that, that far from you, but now it'll be yeah, it's closer. About, it was, we were 40 or 45 minutes from there. Uh, but it's also, it's, uh, and I don't know that it'll be the same way. It was also one of the best curated tap selections in the United States, I think, for somebody who has six or seven, just a cross-section where you can get a cask beer, you can get a properly poured Czech beer, you can get a hazy IPA, and then you can get this fabulous selection of uh, spontaneous beers. I hope they crank up some of those cask engines in the uh, in the new image tap room where they are going to be you know, co-locating, right. co-existing in the future, because you're right, such a cool place. Anyway, we'll see how that all goes, but uh, of course, they're in good company with new image Moving forward, uh, New Image, one of our beers of the year. Editors picks for beers of the year this year, too. So um, stacking good on top of good. What's next on your list? Um, the rather long name uh, to fit on a label, which is the Wheatland Spring Return. And that's actually what appears in the big words, but it's the Estate Piedmont Pilsner. And it's a different sort of farmhouse brewery. It's, it's on a farm. They do make some uh, beers a mixed fermentation beer with yeast they've collected. But but the farm aspect that's super important is they are growing um, their own grain and and you can stand on the brew deck and see the fields that that's coming from. And it really expresses um, the land that they're on. They, they're also involved in a project to breed varieties more suited to the Virginia environment. So more of their breweries can make those sort of beers. And, and I, I certainly hope what they call land beer. And you can go to Germany and people will say this is a land beer. In the United States, nobody's quite sure what it means. But I hope that's part of the future of American beer. Absolutely. It's, fun. it's been awesome to watch and track some of those like rigs in Illinois, uh, following that same right. kind of uh, growing their own grain, uh, having their grain malted and then brewing with it right there, adding value to their own agriculture and uh, you know expressing... Um, not just terroir in this loose, you know, you know, kind of amorphous sense of what terroir is, yeah. but actually employing their own agricultural products in the production of the beer that they make. Yeah, the, the people, and it, it's a, a ways to get out there. That It's about 20 minutes north of the Dulles Airport, uh, but people from D.C. travel there, and, and they have got to know this. this is, when I taste this, I know that it comes from this place. 
Yeah, there's a great story out of a craft beer brewing, or maybe it was our brewing industry guide. I'm a little blanking on it now. Um, anyway, if you're a subscriber, go check it out. Next, next up, uh, Ohio. Yeah, a narrow path brewing in this. Uh, they're on a bicycle trail. Um, and again, this is another, actually, this is what Chad Powers, the brewer, say, saying to me, this, this particular beer he considers an offering from the land as it, as much an offering from the land as it is from the brewer. So it's, it's a combination where he's getting the malt for this, which is smoked and it's, uh, in a Norwegian smoking style from, uh, Sugar Creek in Indiana. Um, then he was using, uh, he goes over into Kentucky because uh, he has a friend and they can do this with, he could get them closer in, but he actually harvested cedar branches that he uses in this beer. Um, and then it's fermented with a rehydrated fike yeast, uh, which a home brewer had, co- had not collected, had, had gathered from a, from somebody in Norway, obviously, and brought back and they rehydrated. Um, and you put that together. This is a smokier batch of malt and can be off-putting to some people, but that cedar, and if you like smoke, which I do, um, it really comes together and it's it's a, a really powerful punch. And it's also worth noting it's done by a brewer who has an idea of what they're doing, won a medal on just from the brewery this year and also won another medal in a collab this year. So pretty good at what they do these last two certainly been beers we would expect from a the guy who wrote brewing local the book um no surprise there the next one uh, maybe a little bit of a different take but this next beer is actually one that was on both of our personal critics lists yeah the cohesion and i think you know better than me how to say this that that's we can tell which of us has been to the czech republic more recently I um, also actually studied the uh, Russian language in high school oh, for several years and actually a little bit in college. And so um, some of the similar right. baseline pronunciation, but the Vaz too, you know. This was our anniversary beer. Um, and so it's it's a twist on their flagship, but it comes across in a, in a variety of different ways. Just a, a little bit different malt bill, um, which is as i don't know if you've talked about your list yet or not i my list does not end up on the podcast people have to go read the the magazine well i I, man, I can't even talk about why you like the difference but it is you the, absolutely the, can yeah, i was going to mention it too yeah. and i'll tell you why yeah like, okay good yeah when i i came after coming back from the check well, actually i think i joked about this a little bit with joe but i mean we i became that kind of insufferable jerk um it, you know but we, even with eric and let me just apologize to eric <laughs> okay. uh, uh larkin the co-founder of cohesion for this uh, but i would even at cbc this year um at the, the czech beer event they did a monday night you know it's like just being a, a kind of obnoxious uh you know about it and it's like you know eric just throwing the little trolling comments like well your beers they're good they they just need to be sweeter um you know because no one ever tells a lager brewer that their beer their lager should be sweeter uh, but they should they yeah. should i mean that's the nice thing about czech pale lager yeah. like it has to have that fullness it's got to have that big that body um to stand up to that kind of uh, heavy hop load and so i would every time i'd see him i just kept repeating they gotta be sweeter they've got to be sweeter and, and of course we argued about it and he's like no we're making 
textile loggers for our our audience and our palate yeah. and uh and this is what you know people want and they don't you know and, and totally fine then when you know we went down for that uh, issue joe wrote a story on brewing check style so i reached out to texted eric like hey can we swing down can i swing down there and take some photos of pores and uh you know just because that would be the best place to get good proper check style pores for photos so drove down shot these photos um brooke their taproom manager uh you know i was talking with her as we we're setting these things up and uh you know I, I made some slight comment uh you know about challenging eric about uh you know sweetness in his beers and she literally was like oh you're that guy <laughs> oh you're the guy you're the guy and like oh man now i have a reputation right. within cohesion for being that guy anyway i felt like they brewed this beer just to shut me up maybe i could be wrong i'm sure there's other motivations there but uh you know that's that's what it felt like so well it it's nice because it's what's Troubadour, which is a, a Colorado monster, I'd say local, but it's not that close, but it, it's still true. Local to me, Fort Collins, right. right. Yeah, it's a, it's a Troubadour malt, so it, it keeps some of that same character. Again, we talk about beer from the land. Eric is devoted to making Czech style and doing it with ingredients that are going to give you that flavor and finding it. So, so far, he's not found hops grown locally so that's important and, and he's really interested in the german hop breeding program so this has up front uh, the german the czech hop breeding program right, right. um has hops up front that are at such small amounts that he he had to officially i think this is a collab with a brewery in the czech republic so they could get get these hops so it's a little spicier and um and obviously as jamie pointed out a little bit sweeter and on uh a hot sunny afternoon sitting outside it really is super refreshing um i had a 10 after this going to lower alcohol and then came back to this one and you know it was still you didn't go ooh, this is heavier and bigger boost and stuff like that it's just super refreshing beer you know when we say big about it like this is a four and a half percent right, beer, yeah, exactly. you know? so um right yeah, you know all things in measure but man what a what an amazingly flavorful four and a half percent beer and one that i can drink in quantity and one that i kept going back because they had it on tap in fort collins at, oh. at the one account they have in fort collins at tap and handle and so uh um i drank a fair amount of it there and would go to the bar just to drink a little bit more of it um not something i typically do but uh but here we are you're right Next on your list. Sorry, next on your list. Well, that, it's interesting you point that because it's like uh, Casey Grisette, but this is wet hop with uh, Cascade hops from Colorado. Um, I have four mixed ber- fermentation beers on the list. Maybe I should be embarrassed as the hop guy, but that's the way it goes. Um, I, I love the Casey house character from their yeast. The Grisette just supports that wonderfully. Uh, this is aged in barrels and so to do the fresh hop in this case the best i can understand is they kind of poured it over the fresh cascade hops and you you that's already a beer that has all kinds of hard to describe citrus flavors and now we add in what they are getting from the cascade hop um so you know when i sent this in joe sent me a back a list he said i i need to challenge you to say more about the citrus other than lots of citrus impossible to describe. Um, so what I wrote is this has the guava pulp meets tart lime rind. You find in some Brazilian fruits, which is unfair because you got to go to Brazil, I realize, but you know, it's the sort of thing we've had some Caterina sours here the last couple of days. 
And it's a reminder when you go someplace, they're going to have a fruit you've never had before. And you'll go, yeah, I can tell that's fruit. And then how do I describe this? Um, so anyway, that's, that's what it is. An intensely really cool citrus experience. Were those hops, uh, those cascades from the Billy Goat hop farm? Yes, from Billy Goat. Who won the Cascade Cup this uh yeah. Yes, this last year. The uh, first time a Colorado hop farm like the first time a hop farm other than Oregon and Washington had won the Cascade Cup. Crazy. Crazy times. What's this world coming to? But uh no, what a cool way to you know to connect locally through the Iowa. So one more beer, one more beer on your list. Okay. Finally an IPA. Um from Cloudburst in Seattle and wonderfully named uh, Actual Poison. Uh, pretty typical for Cloudburst sitting in the tap room. And, and my wife, Dari, I don't think it really looked at their Instagram feed to see how they described their beers. And about three beers in, she's like on the floor laughing like crazy. So you'd read this. I don't know that it would entice you to drink the beer. It just might scare you away. Uh, but again, on a Saturday afternoon, a day before my birthday, as a matter of fact, sitting in that tap room and watching people come in and out. It's a, a, just a great vibe, that experience that you like a lot. And of course, I was my favorite drinking partner. In this case, it has a lot of those modern flavors. When people talk about a West Coast IPA, they've got, they are fruitier than they were 15 years ago. And so it has the Citra Mosaic Equinaut, but it also has a good chunk of Chinook that gives you that really the best I can say is edge. I know that's not a description necessarily, but a different sort of bitterness and a different sort of finish. And that got me looking, thinking about how long Chinook has been around. And uh, Chinook was bred in 1985, which turns out to be the same year that the movie Back to the Future came out. And that's sort of what I feel what the best West Coast beers are doing is they're taking us back and to the future at the same time. I love Cloudburst. Obviously, they've been our, our beers of the year in the past, and uh, they sent us a beer this year. It was a double red ale, which, of course, you know, for me, echoes back to like Avery, Avery Hog Heaven, you know. Yeah. Um, but the name was, I, I felt seen in this name. It was Say Hi to Your Dad for Me. Yeah. I like I yep. Yeah. That, that was also on tap. We were getting so old that we're cool again, Stan. <laughs> I've, I've gone through that stage twice Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, we have, you have uh, five more questions on your list, but instead of answering those, go to the, go, you know, craft yes. your brewing magazine, read those. Let's talk about, uh, um, your biggest takeaways here from the Coba Baja and Mexicali. I, we spent the whole day judging yesterday, like we've mentioned before. Um, you know, and you wanted to talk about one or two beers that uh, we tasted because it's like they know you. And I mean, <laughs> I love that I got to do this too. Um, wood and smoked and historical beers. So the first, uh, the first beer on our table yesterday uh, was a Gorodziska. Well, it's you know, it's like you get typecast into this. You, you know, be careful what you wish for. But it was great. It was great. I mean, could have been carved a little more, but it was otherwise really great. Uh, well, first of all, I uh, to back up one thing, there, there's a good chance your biggest takeaway from this weekend is is still coming ahead. When uh, first of all, this afternoon we're going to go eat. Uh, Chinese Mexican food, which is uh, on Saturday last year was just incredible. And then we're going to go to a festival that is so festive and there's just a joy. And this, as it seems to me, as soon as you get south of the United States, uh, again, it's a little bit like going back in time because there's this excitement about beer and, and people want to learn about it. They want to make it better. And 
there will have beers with fruits that are unique to this region and you'll taste this and go i've never tasted anything like this before um so that's and you've got the next few hours to look forward you to. are 100 percent right about this dan let me just set the stage for you last night after the awards ceremony um you know brewers with medals around their necks and we all went over to uh, amante uh the brewery and Back in the brew house, they had uh, guys set up uh, serving pastor, al pastor tacos, um, just incredibly, incredible tacos back in the brew house. But then they had, you know, musicians sitting in front of the brew deck, like playing music. The crowd of brewers, the crowd of, uh, you know, volunteers are all standing around a circle singing along. I mean, it was riotous. It was fun. It was such a beautiful energy. And it was a nice reminder of what the culture of craft beer is and can be. Uh, men, women, you know, folks from the United States, folks from all over Mexico, um, all singing, eating, celebrating craft beer together. I mean, it's it's yeah. it kind of sums it up. You're right. It feels like things felt when it was you know tight, and we were all all in this right. together, you know, years ago. And it's good not to lose sight of that. I mean, craft beer means something, right? Right. It, exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's it's so much fun, and it it makes the beers better. It's not just a halo around it. We're judging these beers blind, and I had, um, I think, three beers in the course of the competitions that I scored over 40 at, and that's BJCP scoring standards. So basically, we had beers that would be pushing or hitting 100 in the magazine. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, it was nice to see, you know, and, and the, the tops of most of these categories were really world-class beers. Yep. Um, and I'm pretty excited because after breakfast, for some reason, I was headed up the elevator and uh, Alfredo, forgetting his last name, won, I think, six medals <laughs> uh, yesterday and we were having breakfast. And all of a sudden, he comes running to the elevator holding out two cans of beer that somebody had left at the table because it, I had judged a category and then they found this beer in the category and thought I might want to have the beers again. So it's just, it's kind of crazy and it's fun down here. Absolutely. So what were your biggest beer takeaways then? Uh, you know, we, there, there are, the, the beer that we gave, uh, the, the gold in our category. As I said, we're on a fiscal year. So I'm collecting thoughts for possibilities for next year's list. And, and probably that's the Higgs boson beer that we had which so we started with the Grodiski and we gave it a very high score it is not quite as hoppy as um live oaks and it doesn't have the advantage of the particular malted wheat that live oak has but it, it was on a standard better than all but i can only think of one Grodiski in poland that it would be better it just had a lot of balance finesse it was a wonderful beer and we're going through and we're thinking this this could be the gold. Then we got to beer like three or four and we had this beer. And, and when you read this ingredient list and you think they're going to make an oud brew and they're going to age it in bourbon barrels for two and a half years. Um, and then they're going to age it in the bottle for another half year. There is so much room for error in there that you would think might not be a good idea. But as soon as it was poured and you smell it, my first thought was, obscenity, Grodiski's not going to get first place. 
That was from uh, Madueño Brewery in Tijuana. Yeah, um, uh, Higgs boson. I think we said that. And, right, right. And I got to figure out a way um, because I'm not putting beers on my list uh, on the basis of drinking two or three ounces. I don't want to belittle anybody who does those things on various things, but I don't. Um, but it it was just so balanced, such an immense combination of flavors. Um, you know, it, it expressed the barrel itself as much as the bourbon. So what, what that, what the barrel brings to it in texture and a little bit of vanilla and depth and things like that. And all of that time spent to which I'll say, so we're not going to talk about my five questions, but one question is what's the most underrated ingredient in the beer? And, uh, and then the other part of the question was you were supposed to then name a brewery that is an example of that. And mine is time and the amount of time you're willing to put, let that beer mature and things like that. And my example of brewery is Beerstadt Lager, um, which is in Denver. So it's a beer I can drink all the time. And I said, when we had this beer to Jamie, I said, I could have replaced Beerstadt Lager with this beer, but I'm not going to because Beerstadt Lager does it all. Well, there you go. Stan, thanks for sharing your list. Um, looking forward to building some more memories over the next, uh, the, the rest of the time that we have here in Mexico. And again, thank you to our the folks here at Copa Baja and Mexicali for bringing us both down here and uh, and giving us a great location to record this uh, this little piece of our, our annual reconnection on on critics list. Courtney Eisman is up next, but first, who doesn't love free samples? A Perfect Puree is offering a free sample box of their frozen fruit purees, concentrates, and blends to professional brewers. Picked at the peak of ripeness, their fruit is pureed and frozen for optimal fresh flavor and color. Explore classics from red raspberry and blood orange to unique fruit juice blends such as Yuzu Lux Sour. Choose from 40-plus flavors and build a free sample box at perfectpuree.com beer. That's perfectpuree, P-U-R-E-E dot com forward slash beer complimentary to professionals only and this episode is brought to you by yakima chief hops the seventh annual pink boots blend is now available for pre-order three dollars of every pound of the pink boots blend purchased will be donated to the pink boots society a non-profit organization that supports women and non-binary individuals in the fermented and alcoholic industry through education place your orders from yakima chief hops and secure your volume of this limited blend for your pink boots collaboration brew day on March 8th, International Women's Day. Learn more at www.yakimachief.com slash pinkbootsblend. Next up in our Best in Beer Critics List uh, edition of the podcast, uh, joining me from New York City, my former stomping grounds, and of course, more specifically, the borough of Brooklyn, Courtney Eisman. Welcome back to the podcast, Courtney, for another edition of the Critics List uh, you know, podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to be back. We've had a lot of great stories in the magazines, both of the magazines from Courtney this year, and we're looking forward to more next year. Um, but due to your spot in the, the you know in the Northeast, and uh, as well as your travel, you you got got around quite a bit this year. Uh, you know, all, all over the world, in fact. Um, and so your critics list pulls from from those travels and those experiences. Um, where did you start in compiling your critics list this year? I actually did just kind of go back because I did get to a few different few different cities, back to some favorites, to some new ones. So I kind of just, I mean, it, this is maybe embarrassing, but I started by just going through my Instagram because, you know, I don't, I don't Instagram like as much as I'm quote unquote supposed to as a writer anymore. So now it's like the beers that I'm truly like 
oh my God, this is a life-changing beer that I actually post about. So I was like, oh, well, that's the that's a cheat sheet right there. I, I take exception to this idea that writers should be Instagramming or that any journalist should. I went through it a couple of years ago, pulled all of my stuff off of social media because I came to this realization that, you know, I'm a professional. I get paid to create content and this is what I make a living from. And when I am creating content, you know, for Mark Zuckerberg on Instagram, so he's like, selling ads against right. it. Like, right? Yeah. I'm just creating content for, you know, these mega tech companies to sell their own ads against and make money off of what I'm creating. Like, that's pretty fucked up. Well, now I'm that <laughs> madder about it than I already was. Yep. Sorry, I got distracted. This is one of my <laughs> personal pet issues. Um, you know, and, and of course, you know, it's not just Instagram. It's also all of us who work for Elon Musk creating free content for X, uh, you know, and uh, of course for Google and everyone else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you use, you use Instagram. I use Untapped. I don't rate anything. I just use that to keep track of the beers I drink so yeah. I can go back and pull off my list and kind of like try to remember the circumstance in this. So, um, so yeah, what's the first beer on your list and uh, what made it stand out for you? First beer, uh, is the Amaro di Malto from Oxbow. Uh, so this, this beer was just really striking. Um, I, shameful beer writer secret. I really only had my first proper visit to Portland, Maine this year. Um, and going to the Oxbow tap room is obviously really special, um, and this beer, I happened to see it on the menu, like wasn't going to even order anything else. They were closing. And then I was like, ooh, a beer that supposed it, it's supposed to taste like Fernet Branca. And I was like, I absolutely have to try this because that and that is like what you should end the night on anyway. Right. It was the the way that it tasted like Fernet was incredible. Like what they have done with a beer. It was like it was like the the elevated version of the like, is it cake? But for beer, it's like, oh, this is beer, but it's so it was so complex, so many different spices, the way that like there was a touch of mintiness, but it was like really dark and lush, but not heavy. It was just absolutely perfect. And I, of course, brought like six bottles home. So on trend right now between uh, Underberg, Fernet, mm-hmm. Malort, if you're in Chicago, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that kind of Amaro focus, especially even like the folks at Burial, I know we're extra, extra focused on Amaros. Um, very hot right now in the oh, beer yeah. world. Very cool. So what's uh, what's second on your list? So then we have uh, a smoked braggot from Meal Brewery in New Orleans. Um, and this one jumped out because, like, I feel like I'll always remember 2023 as the year that a lot of us in beer had a bit of an existential crisis about what we're doing here. And we were, I like so many people, I've just had this conversation over and over again this year that we want to be like re-excited and we want to have these beers that are like, you know, sometimes you want the beer that is just there to like accompany the conversation, but sometimes you want those beers that are the conversation. And this smoked braggot just sitting at the bar, like talking to the bartender about it. It was just... The it has lapsang sushong tea. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. So again, like just really complex, layered with the smoke, touch of honey sweetness, like those botanical herbal notes in there. It was just so incredibly special. It's funny what you say that about being excited again, and I think that we're we've we went to the lager realm in order, you know, as a yin and yang against, you know, the kind of excesses of beer before it. And now since we're coming back, you know, balancing out again in another way, mm-hmm. I'm still trying to to find that kind of interest. Uh, and so um, interesting. What's next on your list? So 
actually it's funny because we go from that beer to those those beers that are I have two back to back that are like back to that kind of like very classic like this is an essential I will always love this beer. So this one is Renewal from Strong Rope Brewery uh, here in Brooklyn. And it's a cream ale. And I was drinking it and I'm like, I never reach for a cream ale. But I don't know if it's like I need to be doing that more or if Strong Rope's version was just that perfect. It's just refreshing, a touch of that corn and green sweetness, a touch of like the floral herbal bitterness thing happening. But like you could just kind of crush these and like enjoy your afternoon in Strong Rope's beautiful Red Hook tap room. Everything I've had from them has this interesting kind of almost rustic character, yeah. which, uh, you know, from a urban brewery is such an in- interesting, uh, uh, you know, kind of color to, to what they do. Yeah. What's next? Uh, so then we have another just, you know, accompany your afternoon really beautifully. This is um, Apparatus Servicita Alemana from Hercules in Mexico City. So it's a German style liked beer, which I don't think I've ever had even in Germany but Hercules Brewery in Mexico, they have a lager exclusive bar. That's sort of like their version of having a tap room in Mexico City. Um, so that is just like, I think they have some like more complex and like, you know, more uh, like unique things you've never seen before on the menu. But that is like such it's kind of like a house beer, like perfect refresher. I love liked beer. And there's one on our best in beers editor's picks this year from uh, KC Beer Company. Um, but Hercules also, Josh, uh, you know, wrote an article or wrote a, uh, uh, re- a homebrew recipe eh. for us this year. Kind of been fun to connect with those folks. Um, next up, you go IPA. Yep. Yeah, this list is bouncing all over. Um, so I think like a lot of other people, uh, just my my bar, right, for like when I'm even, even going to try a hazy and when I think it stands out, it just gets higher and higher, especially as we are seeing like some other trends emerge and styles re-embraced. Um, but Fightins, I mean... I know they've, you know, their their favorites uh, at craft beer and brewing. You're such a hipster, such a hipster, Courtney. <laughs> but they're so good. Like their hazies really do stand out to me. Like I never get hot burn. I never get any faults or anything. And they really do get these like sugar gummy, but like not too sweet, like just really beautiful fruit flavors. It's like a lush mouthfeel. It's balanced. They're, they just they do it right. Some came to Colorado, and I, and I got to hang out a little bit with Steve from Fiden's while they were while they were here. And uh, I was really struck by just how nicely they balance bitterness. Mm-hmm. And yes, they're sweet and there's hazy IPAs, but they don't ignore the bitterness, and the structure is definitely there in these, so they don't feel like giant murky sweet bombs. Exactly. Um, really, really nicely structured beers. Yeah. Sure. What's next on your list? Uh, so next is the guest, which I know is a popular one. Um, it's from Elsewhere Brewing in Atlanta, and it's a uh, Czech style dark lager. Um, so, you know, really, really refreshing and has a nice dry finish, but does get into a bit of that sort of like rye bread, uh, dark dried fruit and a little bit of bittersweet chocolate. It's just it like ticks every box, I think, on that style list. Czech dark lager is still so hot right mm-hmm. now. Uh, we're still writing our uh, our Czech uh, fanaticism. And uh, I don't uh, I don't know. Doesn't seem to be waning at all. What's next on your list? Uh, so I smoked lager. Oh yeah, smoked lager. Well, so this one is um a smoked blonde ale. Oh yeah. Uh, because so this one is I heard you calling from Endless Life, also here in Brooklyn, one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. So like smoked lagers, I'm really excited because that's one of my favorite things, right? And now it's like easier to get. 
uh, at different places. But Endless Life has, I think they have done smoke lagers, but they did this blonde ale and it was just like the subtlest little riff on the style. Uh, but just like just enough to sort of like catch your attention. And then you just go back to like loving that perfect, perfect like note of smoke. Like it's the right level. It's just great. Fantastic. I just had some great a bunch of smoked lagers uh, over the, or smoked beers over the last uh, couple of days in Chicago because there's quite a renaissance going on in the uh, smoked beer there. Oh, too. yeah. Um, and we're here for it. I think we're all here for it. Yeah. Um, next, a uh, uh, extra hoppy lager. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is Pepperoni Castle from Smith and Lentz in Nashville. Um, this one I feel like lived up to an especially hard test because I had it at the end of a, uh, like my first full day at CBC. So just like sitting at the bar with this perfectly uh, dry hopped Pilsner was just it goes perfectly with their pizzas. It's like the, you know, just the right amount of like hot punch to that crisp lager. Just it's a gorgeous beer. Um, next up on your list uh, uh, is a beer that we've actually run a recipe for uh, through our all access recipe program for all access subscribers. Yeah, it's a heartbeat of the Hudson from Lasting Joy upstate in Tivoli, New York. Uh, so this is a a like a classic English stout, but with beets. So it has a really nice sort of like earthiness to it. And it's it's like bittersweet. It's a little rich, but it finishes dry. Um, it honestly, it's a, especially when you're if you go to their tap room, which I highly recommend. And you're just like on this farm drinking a beet stout. It's a whole moment. Beautiful, gorgeous tap room. Mm-hmm. I mean, really stunning. I haven't been there, but uh, they've they've sent me the pictures. Uh, we met Alex, uh, Alex and Emily are the co-founders, and uh, they came out to one of our brewery accelerator events a number of years ago. So we've been following their brewery journey along, and it's fun to watch them from from the idea of a brewery to now making beer to now showing up uh, in critics lists. Uh, you know, watching that kind of development, super super cool. What's the tenth and final beer? on your critics list this year. Uh, So this is the Stolen Pine Tree from Three Beer. And I hope that I'm saying that correctly because their label, it kind of looks like it's a Z beer. Um, But they are a Serbian brewery. And I had their beers all over some travels in Croatia and Montenegro. So the reason that I picked this beer is because Going through Europe, I find every time I'm there, people, you know, find out what I do for a living. If I'm chatting in a tap room, you know, that I'm from the States and they're they're like, we can't do IPAs here. And like and I'm like, I guess I used to agree years and years ago, maybe like the the if they're comparing it to like American takes on the style, obviously. But they're doing there's a lot of breweries doing great things with the IPA and three beer. The stolen pine tree is like it's really good bitter. It's like American IPA, but leaning a little more to the West Coast style. It was really, really nice. I read the bitterness was like very much there ipa from great ipa from serbia that's awesome Uh that's awesome well let's talk about what your perfect beer bar would be once again like we let we gave a whole list of questions to all of our critics and just let you 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 got to choose which questions you wanted to answer and this is one for that you uh you wanted to answer so uh what makes the perfect beer bar for you so for this one i kind of frankensteined what i love about some of my favorites in different cities um so you know one of my favorite beer bars of all time here in Brooklyn is beer wax and I like so beer wax like the whole thing is you know they have thousands of records and there's a the music is as big of a component as the beer and I like that in a beer bar right like I like if there's something else going on um you know maybe that would be film or maybe there's something else that you could bring to the table but I like sort of the 
the fusing of different like passions and art forms um, against the backdrop of beer, obviously. Uh, I would want the Perfect Beer Bar to be as thoughtfully curated as somewhere like Muted Horn in Berlin. Um, and then just uh, Mexico City beer bars and bottle shops. They're really, really into like education driven conversation. You walk in, they're like, what do you like? You know, kind of any level of beer lover, wherever you are in your journey would be served well by that. So there's a place called Malt Bunny that just I they do it really well. And I think that that kind of makes a perfect beer bar experience being able to, you know, it's not like you're going to beer school. It's not like too like condescending, but it's just a nice chat that could introduce you to something new. That's awesome. I, I did get to Beer Wax when I was there last fall. And uh, what a cool place that is. Haven't been to the other two, but now uh, now they're definitely on my list. Um, most unique taproom experience this year. Uh, so I got to Trace Brewing in Pittsburgh. Um, and first of all, their tap room is awesome. I think it used to be a punk venue. And you can kind of still feel that. Like you can kind of still feel the vibe of there having been, you know, shows there. And they still do like they're very, very events driven. They're very much like a neighborhood fixture uh, for different, very inclusive events. So getting to sort of learn about that. They have, um, you know, a cool ship room that gets used, you know, when the weather is, it's hard to be an urban brewery with a cool ship, but uh, they also use that for events. They're just like, we're like really cool elements of that brewery. The team's really great. They have a good um, fooder program. So yeah, that one stood out to me. Very, very cool. Okay. Last question on your list. Most encouraging thing happening in craft beer lately? Uh, so the other thing that I liked learning about when I got to Trace uh, is that they have a vocational program. And that overall, that trend to me is definitely hands down the most encouraging thing. Um, there are independent organizations like obviously, you know, the Michael Jackson um, Foundation is was sort of a trailblazer there um, and beer culture. But there are other, you know, breweries like Trace now are starting their own. Um, there's the Love Bond uh program here in New York too that is they're doing internships at other half uh so yeah we're just they're getting underrepresented people into beer sort of providing these educational um, and career placement opportunities so they're that is like just the most direct and impactful way of diversifying the industry 100 i love watching these programs develop that uh, create new avenues for people to connect with craft beer and connect with uh, uh, careers in craft beer and uh, that remove the barriers for them to enter this world of craft beer uh, because uh, you know as we've always said uh, you know the diversity of craft beer is its strength mm-hmm. thanks for sharing with us your thoughts on your favorite beers of the year as well as uh, some of the trends and some of the things happening in craft beer that are resonating with you now. Courtney, it's great uh, great to have your thoughts and opinions here. Um, of course, if people want to read more from Courtney, you can in the pages of Craft Beer Brewing Magazine and our Brewing Industry Guide, or check out her Hugging the Bar newsletter uh, that she produces through Substack. Courtney, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me for this uh, part of the episode. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much. Next up, Alex Kidd. Alex, you're joining us from Southern California. It has been an amazing year in some regards. You just welcomed a new baby into the family. Also, maybe one of the worst years of <laughs> your entire life. Yeah. Um, you got a diagnosis back in May that has certainly changed the uh, entire trajectory of you know your existence. Uh, you want, Do you want to fill people in on what's going on? Yeah. So the past 12 months has been pretty crazy arc of ups and downs, new house, as you said, new baby, new cancer diagnosis in my 
colon, liver, and lungs, uh, you know, chemo and everything that comes with it. So it's it's been uh, quite the ride. So as a result, I was only able to uh, drink for nine months out of the 12. So if, if you see any like glaring blind spots, uh, you know, that's that's why. Sorry, sorry, I didn't get to to try double barrel BBT or <laughs> whatever came out in like summer and onward. I I was not privy to. So, uh, you know, for don't don't uh, impugn my journalistic integrity. No worries. I this your list is fantastic. Um, you know, readers of craft beer and brewing, subscribers of craft beer and brewing, uh, can go see it. And if you are not a subscriber, uh, by the time this episode airs, people will be able to go to the website and read it on beerandbrewing.com. And I encourage them all to do that. Uh, I'm concerned about next year's list because, uh, <laughs> you know, we need to, we need to, you need to kick this cancer, not just for your own self, you know, family and all these other things, but just so that we can have a good critics list. Uh, however, <laughs> even even if you're not in, in drinking shape by the time uh, next year's list rolls around, I imagine you can find a way to either crowdsource or uh, pull it in and yeah. create something, uh, you know, because we would hate to break the streak that we're on eight years this year, Alex, eight years in a row that you've provided a critics list to craft beer and brewing and you, me, Stan Hieronymus are uh, the, uh, the original cast for critics lists and we're still doing it now this eighth year in a row. Yeah. Uh, when you told me that when we were just setting up and doing prep, I was like, that can't be right. Cause I was still anonymous when we started doing it. It was like before the podcast, before the live shows, all that stuff. And you know what? It checks out. It does check out. Uh, because I remember we met at Firestone that year and, and made it happen a couple months later. And it is bizarre to think of that, you know, that arc. And in terms of next year, uh, if people are uninitiated. They're gonna be like, wow, this guy really pivoted and got into, uh, sparkling water hop waters uh really into na beer all of a sudden the entire list wow so we'll see i'm trying to figure out a way to pivot uh any the way i can to keep people entertained and uh we'll figure it out as we go along oh man if it's all any beer and hop water that would be that'd be amazing i'm, I'm here <laughs> for it let's do that next year but for this year let's kick in and start with your top 10 beers of the year what's uh what's the first one on your list Oh man, this this brewery doesn't need any more hype. I mean, speaking of uh, breweries that have been around a while, Je Jester King is doing such good things in Hill Country, and you come to expect a level of quality so that for them to exceed their own, like you know that that Jeffrey stuffing seal of approval, this was like uh, a beer that was so good that I not only was like, wow, that that was that was good relative to Jester King, it was like just good relative to all american wild ales which can tend to be too acidic too drying you can't finish a 750 all the trappings of the excesses of the genre this skirted all of them gin barrel aged uh nocturne chrysalis love nocturne chrysalis uh the gin barrel aging added this like awesome eucalyptus mint sort of uh bergamo like thing going on that actually tempered the acidity and kind of made it feel more tannic. So I, I like very few times can I finish an entire American Wild Ale, and this one was easy. Amazing beer. 
also, you know, the other on the other side, you mentioned this acidity and kind of, you know, teeth enamel melting, wild <laughs> thing. We're starting to see the other side, which is just like fruity jamminess and sweetness. And I think you're right when you meant, you know, in, in the critique that you write, like what they manage is not just this kind of sweet fruit one noteness. Like there is, it takes this fruit and it transforms into this, you know, complex flavor that echoes a lot of other things from Syrah grape to, uh, you know, and I find that even within some of the other fruit beers as well. Anyway, gin barrels so hot right now, there's definitely a gin barrel aged uh, wild ale in our top 20 editors picks for beers uh-huh. of the year. I, I, is it a coincidence? I don't know. Um, but next on your list is a barley wine, uh, in that high gravity space close to your heart. Tell me about that one. Yeah. Revolution again, another one of these, uh, companies that I've been you know, a supporter of for a long time. And it's fun to watch their arc and the things that they're coming up with. It feels so derivative to just re reinforce their level of quality and reinforce like what they're doing. But this was such a fantastic beer that I was like, I can't punish them for their successes. It's like, it was just that good. Their double barrel VSOJ, uh, was one of those things like, uh, getting in a fight with a child like you're you're gonna lose either way like like if it if it comes out and it's worse than regular vsoj like okay you screwed it up or if it's you know if it's better it's like well it better be you know like so it but this was this really kind of took it away from the usual english candy type of realm like a lot of that like caramelized brown sugars and, and things like that and it went like uh more like luxardo cherry uh kind of like it had this nice underpinning of like syrah and like obviously a huge blast of cask uh that that just uh, like brought everything together and a slightly lower carb level which was kind of cool to have that silky body instead of you know full of on effervescent sure sure doing fantastic work there still what's next on your list so this came out of nowhere. Uh, this brewery, I hadn't heard of them. They were literally halfway across the world in Sydney. And uh, if the people who followed uh, this brewery, White Bay, uh, they know. And like uh, the Australian fan base is so rabid. They're so proud. They're they're one of those, uh, you know, countries that I'm like, okay, this this is like one that has their own culture, their own like so- source of pride. I, I find this very heavily in particularly in Sweden is this way. There's like few countries that are just gung-ho. Costa Rica is this way. Um, and when they sent me White Bay, Sequoia country, they sent it to me from across the world. And um, this, the the head brewer, I don't know if he's still there, so I don't want to like p- pump him up t- too much, but he was he was a veteran of Oscar Blues and went halfway around the world, like planted his flag. And, you know, I'm like, okay, like, so this is like the reverse IPA. It's been shipped the other half of the world. Instead of going around the tip of Africa, it's gone around the tip of Australia across the Pacific. So uh, it was very strange to have an imported West Coast IPA. And it just delivered on all of the things that you look for in like the, like, if you used to love like back when the pre green flash buyout uh, Alpine, those bombers with the corny labels, Kern, Kern Citra, uh, Boneyard, these are all like those West Coast like masters. And this falls right in that canon. It's Comet Mosaic Citra. Nothing crazy. It's just so uh, well executed in a callback to a time that is weirdly resurfacing 
it's so west coast it's east coast again uh, <laughs> over there in sydney for sure yeah yeah next on your list uh barrel aged stout yeah it's so this this beer from toppling goliath kind of falls into the same category as revolution where i'm like do I need to reinforce like the level of quality? Like there, there are people somehow unaware and it's like, it's always begrudging because you're like padding out your list with like all of these proven quantities. You look as though you're not being experimental or you're not, you're close-minded and you're just reinforcing a narrative of greatness. But I drank this on New Year's Eve and it was just like mind blowing. Like I opened it for people who don't like beer. Like, you know, at New Year's Eve, you'll bring some bottles out with all your normie friends. And they were like, this is one of the best beers I've ever had in my life. The things that the rye double barrel assassin does, uh, it fills in a lot of the gaps of things that are too saccharine sweet, uh, a little bit too like molassesy or, 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 things in that realm but it also reconciles it with giving this like nice slight roast to it which is more of like a scandinavian continental european black patent malt execution and the real kicker is the rye because the rye gives it like that it brings those two halves together and gives it like almost like a sazerac uh that absinthe sort of good and plenty sort of thing that was it's just a really really good and they're not yeah. afraid of bringing some stout flavor back into uh, the, even their their barrel aged stouts. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a nice thing to to see again. Next on your list, uh, you got to you go back down to the south. That's right, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Barrique Baltic Porter. Um, a lot of people have been dabbling in Baltic porters as this like stout adjacent realm, and you've got. If you look at any of these lists, the biggest cliche is to just say, "Oh, I'm into loggers. I'm into pilsers." That's like after the year of the Czech dark lager last year, it's almost like become its own like cringe inducing thing of like bottom fermenting elitism. This is weird because it takes all the things that people praise about uh, clean loggers and it like ups the stakes to be like, can can we like enter a market where excess is king, but still reconcile that with the gentleness of the lager profile. And I think that threading that needle is so difficult that that's what I respect is like taking a, taking a swing on these styles that are forgotten, untested, not market proven. They're going to sit on draft lines forever and being like, oh, we're, gonna, we're just going to do it extremely well. And this like brings me back to like those days of, I don't know if you guys remember uh, like uh, a people's porter, barrel aged people's porter in the realm of back when barrel aged sexual chocolate was like a huge thing. Like, it's that, but amped up. And if we were talking about uh, good and plenties and like super European execution, this feels like something that you would get from Narca. It feels like something that you would like jump across the pond to to sample. And uh, if you do like that bitter, that roast, um, a throwback to the days of dark, surly darkness in a way, like a cleaner, lighter version of that. Uh, in Sweden, they have this candy called Dundersalt, which is like salted black licorice. It reminds me of Dundersalt. Uh, so again, two Swedish mentions <laughs> in this episode. It won't be the last either. Yeah. Uh, no, we talked to uh, Joel and Spencer from Barik um, on the podcast about Brune Wild. That was a couple weeks ago. And I yeah. uh, really like what they're doing down there. So um, they're uh, they're getting accolades all over the place for lots of their beers. Next on your list, you go, you're California and it's a uh, West Coast IPA. Yeah, so we're going back to Oakland. Uh, 
East Bay has seen a, a little bit of a renaissance themselves. Trumer got their own tap room finally going. You know, so, Cellar Makers got a pizza joint going. Sent to Darius, bought the trap. It like, it's there's a lot of stuff like new stuff happening uh, in the East Bay. Uh, so imagine how good a single IPA has to be to land on this list because so many like low hyper local IPAs are gonna be within. 20% is good, 15% like it is the most saturated, heavily sure. entered market. Uh but this thing is just so and, focused and adjacent to a certain you know world-class legendary West Coast IPA maker yeah. <laughs> that's also selling beer into that market. So like you got gold standards to go by and uh how do you make a name you know in that kind of environment? God, I don't envy uh like these small upstarts like Ghost Town uh, you know, it's like they, they got they got big corporate funding dogs like Lagunitas. They got Russian River with like the giant Windsor facility, and it's like they just got to plant their flag. And this Hammer Smash Citra is so Citra forward, so simple, so focused uh, that people who don't like bitter IPAs that like have entered the the market segment where their beer journey begins and ends with hazy IPAs, these are the types of beers that can like be approachable to them without being cloying, without having a crystal backbone of like sticky sweet malt. Uh, and this thing just goes great. It's like, uh, it has so much like tangerine and like, uh, like Mandarin orange, but also like enough of that classic, like green polo bottle cologne or like earthy woodsy to it that like you can have several, which I don't think you can say for some hazy IPA purveyors. It's 100% right. I did an episode with Justin Burt from Ghost Town, uh, you know, a couple months ago and got out there to Oakland. The beers are amazing. Um, and Ghost Town also earned themselves a spot on our editor's picks for Nose Goblin. Yes. Um, ah. Just a tremendous beer. And same kind of thing. Like, it is a double West Coast IPA, and yet it is so drinkable and so nicely balanced. Um, you know, neither too bitter nor too sweet. Um, 70 something IBUs, and yet it all just pulls together in this smooth, oily, cohesive package. Just a phenomenal brewery. And uh, and I can tell that our brewer audience out there is interested because uh, that episode is our third most downloaded of the year. <laughs> so people are paying attention. They're Hell doing yeah. some great work out there. What's next on your list? All right, we're going old school, jumping way across the pond. And this seems like, how? How did this where did this come from, like both on the list and both in the creation? Um, I heard grumblings of this. We reported on this on Molka Tour, and I was like, I gotta try this thing. Uh, Roquefort Triple Extra. That's right, a classic OG Trappist beer, uh, swinging on all of these like double barrel aged and you know, all, you know, chin barrel aged like wild ales. Um, this is the first new beer that Roquefort has introduced in something like 56 years. Uh, and I was like, what, what are they bringing to market that, that they've just been s sitting on and simmering? And it's such a weird merger of like Veselatron green cap, Veselatron red cap. Uh, you've got like a little pinch of like Allagash curio going on, like some traditional triple notes. Um, it's, it's very hard to define. I guess you would just call it like a Belgian strong, which is kind of like a, a, a catch all. Um, but it's just got this like flawless carbonation, the retention, the lacing, uh, that you expect like for that cliche goblet and the, the photo pour. But then also it has like honeydew and jazz apple, 
um, all of these like really bright flavors and a little pop of esters, which you almost never get unless you're just drinking not barrel aged, not fruited traditional saison. Like people have moved so far away from that clove and like th- those, like you know, well, they used to call it like bubble gum. Like that was like the that was the, the old standby, but. It has all of that packed into a not barrel aged, just straight up Belgian gem. Like it represents like so many, so many of the best parts of that entire segment. When we were over in Belgium last February, February 2022, we had some, uh, you know, cafe over there and uh, yeah, it's fun to try. Fun to try. Um, You're right. Change doesn't come that often, but man, we forget in the United States just how powerful triple as a style is. Like that is the beer everyone drinks in Belgium. Like it's just... That it, that's just beer, you know, that and Eupeler, but uh, that's a whole other thing. Uh, what, what, what's yeah. next on your list? All right, we're jumping back to Michigan. Wax Wings, uh, these plucky little upstarts uh, in Kalamazoo. Speaking of people that have to live in the shadow of giants in their backyard, they have eked out such a cool barrel-age program. I've, I've done some lurking. I, I look and see. I'm always curious, too, about the culture of what surrounds a brewery and uh this has like genuinely like michigan locals who chime in like you get the feeling that these are not profiteers who are like just trudging in from indiana to to score some bottles to flip uh they had a great community and this beer heights is a double mash single barreled stout and on paper okay weller 12 whatever like you know it's like all of that sounds like you're just checking boxes on things that are industry standards that will get you to the hype level. Um, but the cool thing about this is it goes a lot of dark fruit. It goes a lot of like Fig Newton and date, uh, which you don't tend to see. You almost see that more in, uh, certainly in quads and uh, certain barrel aged barley wines. But uh, it was it was so cool because it, it was not what I was expecting. And it, it felt intentional. It felt like... Uh, they were servicing a market that wanted one thing, that wanted brownie batter, and like to give a curveball that was just like this warming and, and gentle. Uh, it was really, really well done. Nice, nice. Uh, what's next? All right. Um, so this is one of those like, uh, well, he brews out at twelve percent, so like it's you know like the same thing with timber ales and a bunch of people brewing out at twelve percent in North Haven, Connecticut. But the brewery is brand spanking new. In fact, this was the first can run that they did uh, right out the gates. I got their first beer. Uh, this is Eredita, and this is their Papa Pills, named after Chris Papayo's uh, father. And uh, it's like okay, he's, he just chose to send Pilsner. Like a kind of a bold move. Usually the boxes I get are packed with, you know, like double waxed, you know, like stuff like, uh, you know, like that, that really, really seek to try well, and your tagline is stay high gravity. And so yeah. like, it's not a giant surprise that, uh, yeah. you know, that the people send you those beers, but here you yeah. are trying to appeal to the lager elite with a uh, lager pick right here. Right. Exactly. Um, but, uh, this shamelessly, beer- shamelessly appealing. I- pandering here i was just dunking on them and uh I, like I, i've got two on my list with if you count the baltic porter but uh this this beer like you can see the chops that chris picked up uh from all his years in hill farmstead he brought that skill set put his own spin on it um too often like modern american uh pilsners 
like they're afraid and they overhop it and they get into this IPL, this Italian zone because they want people to have that comfort, that familiarity, or they're applying a lacquer veneer to kind of fill in the gaps of any potential off flavors or if there's something that that wasn't quite right. This is more stripped down. It's uh, it's less hoppy. It's almost like it, it wants to lead with the Grand's Biscuit, the water cracker, the, uh, you know, like a lot of those like light effervescent hala profile um, that it, uh, it, I don't know if this is, is this a super regional product? Uh, the Hawaiian rolls, those Hawaiian sweet rolls. Do you oh, know no, we about? get King's Hawaiian rolls out here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll reference something and, uh, like I wonder, is that a Colorado West of the Mississippi thing? Like what? But it like, it went that realm and I was just like, wow, this is the sheer like effortless, like crushability of these, but while maintaining like control and having like a very satisfying uh, complexity. It was just really well done. You have, you have uh, one more beer on your list. Actually, you have two more, but we'll get to that one later on. <laughs> the last of your top 10. Uh, so this is a team up uh, microphone teamed up with Goose Island, which uh, if you told me eight years ago when we, when I was first on the show that, you know, that eight years ago, 2015, we were like three years into the InBev buyout. Like people were, like they would, they would never collaborate with Goose Island, but uh, Microphone did, and they didn't make a Coca Cola beer. They didn't put like Earl Grey tea in it or uh, zested clementines. Like they made a straight up, no frills, amazing barley wine. Um, it's not wax dipped. It's not hyped. It's not it. It's like it comes in just a sixteen ounce can. I had no idea what I was in for with this. Uh, the double LP side B. Uh, is perhaps the best beer that I've had for microphone. Um, and ironically was even better than like the already phenomenal, the old Fitzgerald barley wine that came out from goose Island, uh, in this last calendar year as well, which was like $50. And this is just unceremoniously in just like a blue and white can. So, uh, really blew me away. Uh, it, it just had so much saturation. It picked up so much from the barrels, um, uh, like it, this, the like the almond roca, and like just all of these, like kind of like a chocolate chip pancake sort of thing going on. Like not with the maple, like no, no maple, no coffee. Don't think any of that realm. But like uh, Madeira, like just dark fruit. It was just so phenomenal, and I, I, I love when things catch me off guard because honestly, I was like, if this is going to Goose's market, they're gonna have to satisfy a different type of consumer um but it was it they brought both halves of what they excel at and just crushed it that's awesome that's awesome if you could share a beer with one figure in brewing who would it be man well as as we discussed up top uh i have you know been diagnosed with stage four cancer and so the immutability and value of time is on the forefront of my mind uh we talk so much about time in terms of like aging, casking, entitlement to how much time you spent in line and, you know, all these, these different concepts of time. And I started thinking, I'm going to butcher his name. So this is going to like, you know, like pronunciation, I hope doesn't take away from it. But I was thinking about what influenced me, what changed my palate, what guided me as counterpoints and something that I used as a North Star. And, uh, uh, Haj the founder of Narke, uh, Culture Brigand, I never got to meet him. He sadly passed away. Uh, 
And he not only helped define the European scene for strong ales and stouts, but like really was like a compass for getting back to uh, the degree of balance. Like in the American profile, you had things that were like a little bit on the too thin side, like central waters and, and those sort of things. And then you clearly were in no shortage of Floridian excess. But this, this brewery always from the mid 2000s, tearing up great beer, like on through the 2010s, every time a Coggin dropped, people were like, oh my God, which Coggin is it? Uh, and it was all like, I drank, I drank uh, two Coggins, the the Konjaks and then the, the regular Coggin Storm Scapota uh, on my wedding day in 2013. And so it's just something that like has always been near and dear to my heart. And I never got to talk to him about time. And it's just something that I... I reflect on a lot about like how how little time that we may or may not have and then that is the value of it so yeah i don't know how we <laughs> where we go from there but i think <laughs> i think you're right it certainly pulls into perspective the things that we value um but also you know the importance of all of those of us that play on this media side you yeah. know in keeping some of the you know, these influential folks who might otherwise not be on the tips of everyone's tongues. You know, it's, there are a lot of brewers out there and it's our job to, you know, to re really what you're doing is writing them into the canon as we think about these beers in the future. And they be he becomes, you know, that kind of influential point, uh, you know, and deservedly so. And so we will keep that memory going. Um, we've yeah. got a couple of, questions you know after this that i think people should just go to the website go to the magazine uh, subscribe to the magazine and read um, but i want to want to ask you about the most encouraging thing you know that you see happening in craft beer today so this has been uh market-wide for most luxury consumables in the post-covid era uh we're still in the covid era but you know what i mean post-lockdown era uh and it is the cratering of the secondary market we saw an influx of some people had discretionary income in 2020 and 2021 no matter what you're into be it watches wine sports cards pokemon uh you know like anything that was in that realm of collectibles or things like they took a huge spike everything was jumping through the roof and you know as we're seeing this subside and it's it's really hit a lot of these like speculative profiteers like heart. You're seeing a lot of these uh, prices slide. Even bourbon now is sliding back down. And it's so awesome to see. Like, honestly, I love it. Fuck those people who just like sit on th things as a commodity, particularly like consumables because they have a shelf life. They have a life. They're meant to be enjoyed. Uh, it just... It's so satisfying to see the secondary market go away for a million different reasons. Uh, beer is notoriously uh, underpaid workers. There's always wage issues, healthcare, things like that. So to see people making like, you know, a thousand dollars, like flipping whatever, uh, the product of somebody else's work just by virtue of their access to it, like that's garbage. Uh, the, like the, the idea that like, there's gatekeeping and people won't have access to them. It limits people's experiences and their experiences shape their palates and the things that they seek out. So they don't have counterpoints. If there are the air quotes, best things, they never get to try those. So that's garbage. Like every aspect of these things is bringing it back in so that locals can buy local releases. People are forced to drink the beers they buy. 
that's what I love more than anything. It's like, oh, you're showing up. You're you're loading up on all of these uh, fittings cans. You got like 20 cases of Treehouse. You, uh, <laughs> if you love barrel-aged barley wine so much, guess what? Now they're worth like a fraction of what they were. So go ahead, drink them up. Like it, it forces them to do what beer is meant to do. That is enjoy the present because it's a living, enduring, fleeting product that ties back into our idea of the value of time. It's, it's just, it's, it's so good for so many reasons, except for if that's your side hustle. Like, and I don't really feel bad for those people. Like, so I am 100% there with you. I think that, you know, there's the, this wonderful factor that more and more breweries everywhere, not just in the United States, but around the world have, are making better and better beer. And it is possible to get fantastic examples of whatever you want, barrel aged stout, mm-hmm. um, hazy IPA, West yep. coast IPA. They're, these beers now are available fresh and local in most places at a very high level of quality. Um, that's a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, uh, some of the the brewers on the hypier side of, of years past have always said to me that like what they hated about the secondary market you know, was how it changed people's expectations for what they made. You know, yeah. and when you make a beer that you sell for $40 a bottle and someone sells it for 400 and the mm-hmm. person drinking it's rating it as a $400 thing. Yeah. Rather yes. than, you know, and then while the brewery made it and sold it as a $40 bottle. And those are very different scales and there's very different expectations, you know, and no, and what brewer wants to have to live up to like making something that they are, you know, that they feel is worth that. Like it is an amount of pressure and a weird level of expectation that, uh, that just no one wants on this. And so I think you're right. Um, open those bottles with people that you enjoy with people you want to share special experiences with, you know, if you have something that's rare, I love, I mean, the bottle, you know, expensive bottle or whatever on secondary, you know, it doesn't, it's not that it has some transcendent taste. It tells, you know, people what, that you're drinking with, who know what you're drinking, that you are valuable to them and that they care about you. And it, it's a, you know, they, they want to have this experience with you. That's the only value I find in any of that kind of thing. And it's mm-hmm. nice now, you're right, as you say, to be able to just do those things together without this pressure and without anyone else taking their cut of it on a shitty secondary market. And in a weird way, uh, you, you made a great point. We have so much local access. You don't need to trade. But also, like the trading has entered like an actual trading renaissance where you just like the stakes are so much lower. You don't like look at like uh, your bottle of like Wakefield Bake Kujira and go like, oh, uh, you know, like how much is this worth? Or, you know, this is the gunmetal Bake and it's sold for 600. So I need exactly $600 in secondary units. Otherwise, like I'm. Or even worse, like the the classic. Uh, How many points? How many points, yeah, Alex? The points, <laughs> the points trades, like the, all that. Like now, it's like, yeah, I got this thing. Uh, you have a thing. Like it's just it's lower stakes, so you're more able to try things. You're more able to experiment because like you don't have to do a seven for one trade and put all your eggs in this basket. And if and if uh, uh, Aaron Grand Crew is not like the best thing, you're not out five hundred prospective dollars. Uh, and the, the or the, the even worse version of this is like the St. Louis special where you like gather together a bunch of things and then you just trade it for a fungible uh, Buffalo Trace antique collection or something like it's like so transparent. You're like, I know you're never going to open a bottle of Sazerac 18. You have no intention of opening it. You just want to consolidate and liquidate and like do this cash out essentially. And uh, that's that's even more hilarious. But yeah, so just in general, a lot of a lot of facets to it, but it's awesome to watch it collapse. 
beer for bourbon trades. It feels like so 2018. I mean, aren't we, aren't we past that now? Um, anyway, well, let's wrap this up with the, the, the one last beer on your list. I asked uh, all of you all to nominate a beer for our, our 20 editors picks for 20 best beers of the year. Um, you sent us a beer that uh, from a brewery that we had on our list last year uh, for our editor's picks in the top 20. And so we did not choose this as an editor's pick for the top 20. Um, but because you felt so strongly about it, we, we left it in your critics list. What's the beer? So everybody's going to eye roll and go two Decora Stouts in one list. Trust me, I know. I know who I am and I don't like it any more than you do. But I also can't penalize them because they both live in this small Iowa town. Uh, it's Pulpit Rock, of course. Um, I'm sorry if you're one of the, the other four breweries. It's like, well, wait a second. What do you mean, of course? No, Ben Scat. Uh, this is this is pastry stout, like through and through. And coconut vanilla hazelnut. It just, it sounds like, uh, like once things veer heavily into like the Starbucks drink realm, like where you're like, all right, so there this is this is a genre that is saturated in more ways than one, uh, literally and economically. But what they did was they double barrel aged it 26, 36 months, and it like it doesn't taste like uh, some milk stout that's just like had a bunch of things piled onto it. Um, it was weird. Like none of the three very dominant ingredients took over in the way that. Uh, sometimes horror beers can be very coffee forward, very hazelnut forward, or uh, some, you know, Goose Island beers can just be sheet cake, vanilla, boom, that's it. That's what you get. Uh, this was somehow kept all three of those balls in the air and juggled it. And uh, it just was so satisfying and so delicious that I was like, you know, something so good when it, like, it compels self-loathing, like where you're like, I shouldn't drink this is I shouldn't drink this whole bottle, even if it is like, you know, a smaller format. Like if you've if you've ever like been in that situation, like you know that like what you're at, like if you look at the serving size and it's super small on the container, you know it's about to be like amazing. Versus like a serving of spinach is like the entire plastic thing. And you're like, I could never finish that much spinach in my life. Like that was this. That was this beer where you're like, this is this is so over the top and horrible for me, but like I don't care. I want even more of it. They build this beautifully indulgent, but also like cleverly structured, uh, you know, approach where again, there's no such thing as too much sweetness as long as it's balanced and in, uh, in the nice and in the appropriate kind of way. And and they are certainly pushing some boundaries on that. But uh, Bob and Teff are doing some amazing work, and especially when it comes to you know the nuts, they just seem to have an artistry when it comes to using nuts and stout. That they robbed me of my dismissive elitism. So that's kind of like, I really got to knock the beer for that because I don't get to look down on people who drink coconut vanilla hazelnut if I myself am painted in their cloth. So uh, that I do take off points for that for my own self-esteem. Well, yeah. Alex, you know, appreciate you taking time out of your chemotherapy schedule, you know, to yeah. talk with us of all the, the things that are probably not that important in life. Talking about a critic's list of beer on a, for a beer podcast and magazine, maybe not, you know, the, the primary, uh, uh, you know, thing that you're focused on these days as you're trying to, you know, kick cancer and, uh, and get back into it. But I appreciate you making time to, to fill us in on what's going on, to, to share your thoughts for beers. Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for making the time. 
Thank you so much, Jamie, for having me, even though I only did three quarters of the work. Well, I'm looking forward to next year's NA and Hopwater list. And uh, hopefully hopefully that's only half of the list and that uh, you get to a point where uh, you get past this cancer, you kick its ass, and you get back into uh, the world of beer drinking. Because I, you know, speaking for all of us that have loved reading and listening to all the content that you've made over the last decade plus, um, you know, we, uh, we need you. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Cheers, Alex. Thanks. Cheers. And for our final Critics List segment, Joe Stang joined me, remote from Bangkok, Thailand. Welcome back to the podcast, Joe. Of course, we just talked last week for our Best in Beer issue, uh, and we talked each other's ears off going into what is best in beer, both from our editorial perspective and from our reader's perspective. Um, But in this list, uh, you get to share your own personal perspective Uh, All other inputs be damned. So let's talk about your top 10 beers, personal top 10 beers of 2023. All right. Well, the first one on this list comes from, I think, one of my favorite beer experiences that I had all year. We were in Czech Republic, and I think my favorite bar that I went to all year was this one called Pult, recommended by Evan Rail. And it was really cool because they were monomaniacal about the draft system there. They had, of course, the Luker side poles. But even more than that, there was like temperature control on the pipes and all these other things going on there. It was just impressive to look at. But what mattered, of course, was in the glass. And what I kept going back to... Go ahead. You want to interject? I just want to interject here because you're not telling the full story here. Pult, you know, there's a couple of things going on there. Like a you know joint venture between the guys from Locale and Matushka, um, you know because they were they are so so well respected in beer service in Czechia, like they are one of the only places in the entire country where you can get both Pilsner Quell and uh, Budvar Czechvar on tap at the same place. I mean that is like oil and water in the Czech Republic. Um, you know, that, uh, the menu itself, absolutely amazing. I can't stop telling brewers the story of this. Like you walk in there, they've got this lighted yellow sign on the wall, kind of like, you know, sign style, you know, with the, with stuff put up anyway, bright yellow backlit. And they've got six beers by name on it. They're all pale lager. All six of them are Czech pale lagers. And then below it, they have three other beer options. They have APA, American Pale Ale, they have IPA, and they have Sour. They don't tell you what those beers are. They'll tell you what each of the six pale lagers are by name. And, you know, and if you want an APA, we have one of those. I don't know what it is this month, but, uh, you know, here it is. It is the most amazing thing to recalibrate your expectations around beer. But, yes, an incredible experience. I went with you at least two out of the four times you went. Um, you <laughs> yeah, <know. laughs> I kept I kept going back, and 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 the uh, the experience was part of it, of course, and the just absolutely perfect, perfectly poured beers in perfect condition. But the but this beer also was the reason I kept going back. It was nicely bitter, fifty two IBUs, but smooth as hell, like creamy texture on there. It's an eleven degree uh, Svetli, so it's it's less than five percent and uh i was almost like trying to prove yes you really can drink it all night and then again the next night 
anyway, wonderful beer. It's uh, Hendrick H11. Um, I had never heard of that brewery um, until until we went to Pulp, and I'm now glad I know about it at least. But I, I can't wait to get back to to Prague again and just hang out in Pulp and wallow in that place. You're a sucker for high. If you can get Joe a over 50 IBU Pilsner, uh, you will become his new best friend. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Not even, I'm, I, Maybe I'm throwing the challenge out there to brewers that are listening. But if you want Joe to be your new best friend, you just make him a, uh, a Pilsner that's over 50 IBUs. And man, just just watch. Just watch. Hey, uh, All right. Hans what's is, next on your list? Yeah. Jim? I just, I just, you know, Hans's Pils could have been on this list too. I had it this year also. Uh, at the Flying Saucer Bar at uh, Dallas Airport. Twice. Anyways, uh, that's another- So predictable. Yeah, so yeah. predictable. Uh, so this other one, um, man, I really I really enjoyed this one. And and uh, I know you guys are Colorado. You get Great Divide is everywhere. Great Divide has been around a long time. But this uh, Laws Barrel Aged Yeti was uh, so fun for me. It, um, it kind of felt like a throwback, American Imperial Stout throwback. You know, we talk about beer flavors in some of these barrel-aged beers, and this one is so beery still, and it's got still has kind of that old uh, no-nonsense bitterness to it. But there's also plenty of roast, uh, the espresso, dark cocoa nuts. There's that whiskey barrel depth. The beer is well attenuated for what it is, so it doesn't feel heavy and sweet. Um, it just I don't know. It's just really delicious. It was fun to drink. Uh, I kept, yeah, kept going back to it and I was just, just really enjoyed it. And, and, you know, at the end, there it is. It just ends up on the list at the end of the year. Sometimes classic feels tired and sometimes classic feels, where have you been for the last several years? And I'm so glad to embrace you again. And this beer I think was uh, definitely the latter on that. What's next on your list? Uh, yeah. So I got one from Sapwood Cellars, uh, which they were in our top 20 last year, um, and this was a bottle. Um, I, I I'm I'm pretty sure I picked it up when I was there at the brewery last year, uh, and ended it up. Uh, I think it was in in the in the cooler on the on the farm, and then I went back the summer and then packed some bottles back here. So I ended up tasting it here pretty recently. But it's uh, there are no edges. It's um, big Flemish uh, red inspired, ten percent ABV. But this is another mixed fermentation creation out of Sapwood Cellars. And I just, man, I just, just love what they're doing over there. Big flavors. You got the acidity. It's punchy. You got some, like a dried berries middle through it. Um, but it's so light on its feet, this beer. It was like so drinkable for 10%. Crazy. Raspy dry finish. Um, the the balance was just right. It was just like, I, I mean, there's just some, some magics going on over there. So um, yeah, really enjoy that one. Sapwood Cellars. Some of the most creative beers that I've had over the last couple of years, um, but also beautifully grounded. I agree. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal work from them. Um, what's ne- the next one on your list was also a beer of the year last year. Joe, you're repeating yourself. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I don't do that on purpose, but, but uh, with the, you know, the, the beer made a strong impression again. It was just really loved drinking it. And um, this is from Otherlands. It's the Halleluda Speci- Special. Special. Uh, it's their Polish-inspired Pilsner. It's light, 4.4% ABV. It, it does not taste light. Um, it's got, uh, like we were talking about last week, It's it's uh, it's got some of that uh, malt depth to it. There's a little bit of heft. It's not heavy, but there's heft. And you're getting this uh, uh, brioche-like malt cookie character 
in it that uh, reminds me of sticking my nose in, in Krug's of full of Keller beer in Franconia. It's just, yeah, Ben's got that going over there. He, he, he and I, we share a love for the Franconia lager and, and I love getting him to go on the down there's rabbit holes over email where we get into these technical details. Uh, it's really fun uh, talking to Ben Howe about, about lager and, and uh, but his passion for that and for the details really comes through in these beers. Uh, and so get to other lands if you haven't. Just a great place, great beers. I enjoy this best in beer season just because Ben throws a box in the mail to uh, to the office here, knowing that you're going to be here for it um, so that we can enjoy some of these beers together. And you're right, they are, uh, they're, they're just, uh, you know, they're, there's just something else. And you can tell that, you know, like Ben's passion, you're right, for Franconian lager is super rich there. Um, and, you know, it's not just academic. Like there's there's both this technical studied piece of it and also like he, he gets that deep feels, those deep vibes and, uh, you know, has, has, has been actively reverse engineering the Franconian magic uh, now in his own beers. Anyway, I could go on forever about that. What's next on your list? Yeah, so this was a throwback, and it's uh, it's going to be a beer that maybe some of you grew up with. Uh, I did not. Um, we didn't get a lot of uh, port beers in Missouri when I was, you know, a young college kid and moving on beyond that. But Shark Attack, I I also really love this style, like these big West Coast Imperial Reds. Um, lots of hops, lots of malt. Um, it's just really fun to get that all those knobs turned up. It's just, it just kind of reminds me of the early days getting into craft beer, but um, also beautiful to look at, right? Like shining crimson jewels in the glass, nice foam. Um, you're getting, I was getting like caramel orange peels, uh, caramel malt middle hug there. And uh, as you're, as you're drinking it and then a little fruit punchy character that, that uh, I actually, I'm, I don't know the hops. I sometimes get like a, uh, Hawaiian fruit punch thing from Simcoe. I don't know if that's what it is. Don't know. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, it's it's bitter. It's resinous, but there's enough body and alcohol there to, to make it all work. And man, what a fun beer. I, I And that actually got exported to Thailand. I drank that here. That was cool. And it was in, in great shape. Like, yeah. So thanks for sending beer to Thailand, Port. If people want to bring Hoppy Red Ales back, I'm here for it. Let's do this. I want more. What's next on your list, Joe? Uh, yeah, side project from uh, Maplewood, Missouri, St. Louis. This was La Belle Fleur. And um, I uh, I don't remember where I drank this, which is not normal for me. Usually I've got like a good head for that. It may have been in the tap room because I got to visit that tap room this summer. Uh, and it was, that was a, weirdly a long time coming for me because um, we, you know, as we were in Missouri for a couple of years, moving there four years ago. And I thought one of the things I was most looking forward to was going to side project and hanging on the tap room, uh, and, and drinking what they got pandemic, damn it, kept it away. They kept, they were closed for a while and then timing didn't work out after that. So this summer, finally, I was able to get in there and spend some time with a couple fellow, you know, geek friends and really geek out at the, t- at the side project tap room, which is the thing you have to do. At some point in your life, if you're you know a, a beer lover, particularly if you love uh, big stouts and mixed fermentation. Anyway, this is La Belle Fleur is, is more in the mixed fermentation realm uh, for sure. But it's a Brett beer, um, and it's just man, it was just perfect. That word isn't particularly helpful, 
but there was like apricots, fuzzy peaches, lime wedges, getting the white wine notes. The precision though was in the flavor of it. Gently tart. It was dry. It was crisp. It was just like so much going on. A lot goes into making it and yet it was the kind of thing you could have uh, multiple glasses of it. So I, it's it, they get so much attention for the stouts, but but I, in my view, those uh, mixed culture beers and and funky stuff has just been getting better and better and better uh, the longer they go on. Speaking of funky, your next beer on your list is also uh, in that funky category. It is, and this is another that that I got exported to Bangkok, but this is from from uh, the Guard in, in Tillamook, Oregon. This was the trio. This is their uh, three year spontaneous blend. This was gin barrel aged. So there's another gin barrel aged, which we were talking about last week. Uh, another gin barrel aged mixed firm beer. And man, it just works. Like juicy, musty. I was getting crushed oranges, rose petals, uh, musty old books, but in the wine cellar, right? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> that's the, I love when Brett goes that direction. It's so fun and works so well. And nice, nice acidity to it. Low earthy bitterness, dry, lively, just really, really, fun to drink and i got to share a bottle of that with friends here and it was really really cool nice nice uh lagers next on your list yeah so this was from our little side trip over to germany we got to go into uh a cool pub in bamberg called the pelican really great spot a couple of my favorite spots in bamberg have sadly closed the torchester man love that place it's gone now i'm not gonna go on about it the pelican great spot if you get a chance and you're in bamberg you gotta make some time for the pelican too and they had a beer from uh, Heckel. And I, I love uh, getting to know these little beers from, uh, breweries from the Franconian countryside. It's really a big part of the fun of going there. It starts with a smoked beer, then you get into Keller beer, and then you just like, it's it, a deep, deep topic and you could want to keep going back for the rest of your life. Heckel is a little brewery. I went there with uh, my friend Michael James. He was somebody I had known from Rate Beer way back in the day, but we stayed in touch Fantastic beer photographer too, beer tourist. He sadly passed away a few years ago. Some of you may may have known him, um, but um, I went to heckle with Mike, <laughs> and um, I remember I have to tell the story. Sorry, we're there's a bunch of locals. Nobody knows heckle unless unless you know heckle. It's all locals, and um, they asked what we were doing there, and I said, "Wir sind Biertouristen. We are beer tourists." And this guy, who's kind of this big guy's facing the other direction, who's a local guy, obviously not enthused about us being there, about outsiders being <laughs> in their local, just goes, Ugh. just this audible groan of of distaste at at uh, foreigners finding their their favorite little spot. Anyway, Heckel is a fantastic Franconian. Uh, take on the hellas where it's it's a they call the volbeer hell it's full I mean, volbeer isn't just a marketing word in this case it's it's uh it's got a fullness to it it's big it's hefty but not heavy if that makes sense it's got uh it's got that malt backbone but it is fun to drink it's got a lemony herbal hop character earthy bitterness to it it to me it, it is got a classic kind of franconia taste so it. it was fun to get to drink that beer and to remember mike uh and to be back in bamberg and all of that Another the next on your list is another beer that we both drank at the same time. I love that we were sharing so much of these beer experiences together. Yeah, this was in San Diego uh, uh, during Obrucon, and um, we get, this was a bucket list thing for me too. 
Uh, but we got to go up to McElhenney, and that was really cool to get up there and and um, to to have some of those beers. And man, they're great. <laughs> I, I mean, they they're everything that people say they are. McElhenney beers, man, awesome IPAs. There's a reason that you know Alpine came out of there, and they've inspired so many others. Even though it's 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 such a small spot, and it feels out of the way when you're there. It's well worth the short detour out of San Diego if you're around. Uh, the beer is Bestest Buds. Uh, th- I liked. I, I also loved the months. Uh, their you know the, the their Nelson IPA, but but I really enjoyed this one. I think just even a bit more. Um, it had a, an a adultness to it, um, just an austerity. It was like you're getting the the bright citrus and and some even some pear like esters, but but also just like bitter dry pine needles the little bit of diesel that you're looking for uh that i like to look for in a in a a proper west coast ipa i guess it was lighting up all those west coast ipa brain centers for me is like this is it this is what i came to california for it was just bright and excellent loved it awesome agree amazing brewery and amazing beers what's the what's the last beer on your personal top 10 list yeah so i gotta get a thai beer on here and um for, for to represent team thailand um but um I think it's not uh, a dishonest thing to do when I drink a lot of beer in Thailand and I am fascinated by what's going on with craft beer here, which is uh, growing even though it's uh, clandestine. It's basically illegal to start a small brewery. Um, I'm going to be, I want to write about that pretty soon. So hopefully we, I don't want to go into a ton of detail on the podcast and make this even longer, but this beer was from uh, one of these um, semi-clandestine, let's say, local craft brewers. Hap Lab, uh, Coon Pitch, if you're listening, man, nice job on this beer. Watermelon Chili Ale. Uh, again, I'll t- talk about throwback. Like, it's not a sour beer. The chili actually was pretty subtle. He's using Carolina Reaper, but you can, it's just like a kiss. It's just an accent. Although Thai food may have thrown out my capsaicin threshold considerably. But it's it's a blonde ale with lots of watermelon in it. And um, and it it balances... In this way, it's old school. It balances the beer and the fruit. You're getting that like toothsome, juicy watermelon, uh, but you're also getting the beer. And it it's still, it's like you're getting the fun of the fruit, a little sweetness, and it finishes dry. Really fun to drink. I actually went back and ordered more. Uh, and it's when you can do that with a chili beer or fruit beer, like you you know you're you're doing well. So really enjoy that beer. And that was at a really cool bar also called Eight Days a Week. Great selection of local beers. If you get to Bangkok, go check it out. When I hear watermelon chili beer, I think that is a line killer. Like, you know, you that, that is everything yeah. that you're going to need to replace yeah. that draft line for all in one beer. Um, but God bless them for that. Uh, that's awesome. You might as well yeah. smoke it too, Make right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Make a smoke, smoke chili watermelon beer. Yeah. Just leave it on that line. Don't even bother. You know, the line should travel with that keg from now on. Anyway, is what it is, but very, very cool to see, uh, you know, craft beer in Thailand bubbling up like that. Uh, We're going to skip your uh, ingredient and your bucket list questions. If people want to see those, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber, or open up your print or your PDF email or open up the app, the Craft Beer and Brewing app, and read Joe's critics list within any of those options. Um, but let's go right forward and uh, and talk about your f- perfect beer bar, Joe. Yeah, this was a fun question. Like, So 
as an editorial team with our, with our writers, we come up with a bunch of cool questions. And then we, this year, we just went with the ones we thought were more interesting to answer. And it's like, man, Perfect Beer Bar is a fun we one. Left it, we we kind of left it open to everyone. Like, you know, these, these are some of the questions. Choose the ones you like that you have a good answer for and, and make those answers. This question was actually one that Samur Kadari, you know, posed to you and me, forwarded us the the uh, Orwell piece, Moon Underwater, and brought it, put it back on our radar and got us thinking about that. You know, we love beer bars. What would we make our perfect, what would we turn into our perfect beer bar? What would, and it's a little different from all, for all of us, um, you know, but that was a, it's an interesting thought exercise to engage in there, just like Orwell did back in the 1940s. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually, I mentioned a Torchester earlier, a great bar in Banbury that closed, uh, unfortunately a couple of years ago that, you know, that reminds me also, there's another really great one, uh, in Berlin that's going to close really soon called Forster's Find a Beer. I got to give it a shout out now. Cause if you're going to be in Berlin in the next few months, get there now, but that also applies to any of the great beer bars that you love. All great beer bars are temporary even though the, sometimes they feel permanent and sometimes they can even last uh, for generations, it's still going to be temporary. So um, if you got a place you love and you love to get to, don't wait, go there, go back, support it because you got to, you got to enjoy those things while you can. Life's short, man. And so are, so are the lives of beer bars. My perfect one, I think partly inspired by Torchester for sure. It's, it's going to be small. It's going to be comfortable. It's going to be chatty. You're going to be having conversations with, with, uh, strangers or, or, or people who also love beer as much as you do. Um, it's not a place you come to eat. So you have dinner somewhere else uh, or lunch somewhere else. Maybe there's some snacks though to keep you going on the beers. I don't care if it's local beers or, I mean, I prefer if you got some local options, but it, it could be a stunning list of imports, whatever, as long as they're great and they're the kind that just want to keep you there, want, to, want you to stay there. And then the other dimension for me is is the music. I think like uh, Torchester, for example, uh, and and Gist in Brussels is another one. But audiophile type bars where they've just got this awesome record collection and uh, playing records for you over like a pristine sound system, and uh, to get like lost in hi-fi sounds while drinking some great beers, uh, while in away an evening, man. Like there's just uh, not much better than that. So there it is. There's my perfect beer bar. You know, we've got some great memories of drinking at uh, Gist and uh, ones that I won't forget anytime soon. Totally agree with you on that. Um, and I love uh, the music element to that. Uh, nonetheless, Joe, I'll catch you soon. Take care. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. For years, G&D Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000 plus breweries across the country. BSG and HVG bring you a mirror, the ideal hop for those looking for the traditional flavor of a classic German lager flavor your lineup and streamline your sourcing by heading over to oldorchard.com slash brewer pro brew currently features short lead times between two and four weeks for their in-stock pro fill rotary can fillers omega stylized yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops join the craft beer community in sacramento march 12th through 14th for the california craft beer summit build your complimentary sample box today at perfectpuree.com slash beer and $3 per pound ordered of the YCH Pink Boots blend will be donated directly to the Pink Boots Society. If you've enjoyed this episode, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, make sure that you can read this Best in Beer ep- uh, issue of the magazine in its entirety because there is plenty more there that we have not covered through these podcasts, and you don't want to miss that, do you? 
you don't want to be behind. You've got to know. You've got to know what everybody thought, like the other five questions that Stan answered in his critics list this year. And of course, if you're a subscriber, you can also look at what he wrote last year and the year before. And uh, eight years now, Stan, this is eight years that we've been doing critics lists. I've lived in three different states in that period. Yeah, yeah. You, Alex Kidd, and me were the three that have yeah. uh, written our lists, and uh, it's fun to watch how those have evolved over the years. And uh, it'll be interesting when we look back in another you know, eight or ten years to think uh, that's what beer was. When we were... yeah. It's already embarrassing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's experience. Okay. It's, it's just experience, you know? It, it's, this is how it goes. Uh, we can't judge. That's who we right. were and what we were drinking and what beer was at the time, and, and there it is. Um, if you're a brewery and planning, go to breweryworkshop.com. Check out information about our Austin Brewery Accelerator next March. Austin, Texas, going to come down there, and uh, you know, if you are thinking about opening a brewery, it's a great resource um, you know, to check out, help you uh, understand what you don't know that you don't know. Um, again, Stan, let's go, uh, let's go eat some Mexican-Chinese food here in Mexicali and then drink some Mexican beer at the Mexicali MXL Beer Fest, the longest beer fest I have ever seen. <laughs> it starts at two o'clock in the afternoon and it finishes at one a.m. in the morning. An eleven-hour straight beer festival. Uh, I mean, the idea of that's got to make American brewers cringe, right? Right. Thanks uh, to all of our critics for joining me for this episode, uh, and we will be back next year uh, with another two-part series on Best in Beer. In the meantime, um, send us those beers. Tell us what you love, and uh, we will catch you next week with another new episode. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.